Hello, it's me, we're back, it's time for more Talking of Bollocks, it's Bollocks time. Hello everybody, it is me, your friendly neighbourhood shouter of bollocks, it is Howard H. Smith. So, um, there we go, just turning it down a bit so you get all, oh is that, is that too much, is that too much, there we go, I'm a little bit louder now, there we go, right, okay. Um, so, it's, uh, it's lovely to be once again in your ears. As you will be able to tell, um, my voice is a little bit... Yeah, I have been in the studio for nine days, uh, came back from Wales yesterday and um, didn't get the album finished. I've got to go back and do another one and a half songs in October because my voice went. But uh, what we got done was great. It was a really good time. Um, And uh, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff coming out on Patreon this, um, this month. So... Uh, sign up there if you want Howard H Smith sorry uh, patreon.com forward slash Howard H Smith for lots of uh, exclusive content but it's now time for of course the intro hello my name is Howard H Smith I am the lead singer of UK thrash band Acid Rain stand up comedian uh, keithplatt.co.uk or on social media talking bollocks the podcast you found that it's all all on social media as well Um, and there's the band acidrain.co.uk who the fuck visits websites anymore search the socials you'll be to find um, all those bits and pieces. Um, welcome, welcome to you, Bollockers, for returning once more. It's always uh, lovely to have you along. If you're listening for the first time, hello. This is a slapdash fucking absolute. Uh, what can I, Well, not mess. It's not a mess. It's not an absolute mess. But it is. Uh, it is raw. It's, it is a raw podcast for you. Okay, so don't be expecting this co- totally like you know overproduced uh, bullshit. This is me and my tiny brain losing the fucking plot for at least the next twenty minutes. Anyway, um, but I have to say, I've got to be honest with you. I always am on here. Um, I am absolutely fucking knackered. Um, so if the if the energy levels are a bit are a bit low, then my apologies. But um, we're been in the studio for nine days. Um, went to uh, Jace Lewis, who's producing the album. Went to, went to his uh, birthday on uh, on Friday. Got massively wasted, um, and um, and yeah, and then drove home yesterday. And I've, I'm I think I basically got one of those two two day hangovers. Um, so yeah, I am uh, I am I'm, but what I lack in enthusiasm, I will be making up in content for you. Because, having said it's all slapdash and all the rest of it, you have got a one and a half hour interview with Jace Lewis coming up, which we recorded in the studio. So it is the finest audio quality that you've ever had on this podcast. It will be a bit weird for you. It might throw you a bit because it sounds proper. Don't get used to it because, you know, it's not going to be every uh, every time I get a chance to interview somebody in a fucking studio. Um, but as always, kids... What has been happening in the world of heavy metal since last we spoke? Um, well, funnily enough, on the on the subject of um, the Ronnie Dio hologram, there has been um, there has been um, more uh, contributions from Craig Goldie, who looks strangely like Meatloaf these days. Um, uh, I mean, seriously, it's it's quite scary, um, but. Um, yeah, he, he's kind of, he said, oh, look, you know, the, the hologram isn't all about money. I mean, obviously, he's taking part in it, so he would say that. Um, and he's quite religious, is our, um, is our uh, Craig, um, to the, um, 
to the extent that he manages to bring religion to, into everything he talks about. For instance, it all comes from love, he continued. These people don't like the idea of the hologram because Ronnie is so revered in their hearts and that seems, blaf- seems blaf- blasphemous to them. That's right. And then, I say this sometimes, it's a lot like when Jesus went into the temple and saw the money, cha- uh, money changers and got angry and he turned over their tables. This is a house of worship. This is not a marketplace. So in a way, those guys see us as the money changers in the temple of Dio. And they want to knock over the tables because that's a place of worship, not a marketplace. But they don't understand that the money is not the main purpose. Notice, not the main purpose. That was quite interesting there. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, look, Craig, I like, I you know, I, I love Ronnie too. But I think comparing him with Jesus... Or a same team from the Bible is a little bit over the top, don't you? Eh? You know, I often think it's a lot like Ronnie was, you know, a lot like Jesus. That is, that is, you know, Jesus H. Christ. That's a bit scary. Although this very person here was compared to um, uh, Jesus, although I've been called Jesus, Jesus H. Hetfield by another than no friender of the Thrash Metal podcast, who is going to be the second interview up today. So, um, yeah, that, that was almost professional, wasn't it? That was almost, that was almost a nice rounded link. Um, next up, I, I mean, this is the most Kiss thing ever. Kiss are playing the final of America's Got Talent. And I really do think that that is such, that's hand in glove, that right there is just perfect. I mean, you know, it's KISS being able to market to a whole new generation right across the country. Um, You know, they're going to get to see those fucking costume pricks play live live on a completely different platform. They'll reach loads more people. I mean, it is an absolute marketing coup. And, um, uh, you know, hats off to them. It is a brilliant bit of business. And um, and, and look, okay, Judas Priest played the final one year as well, and I wasn't giving them any shit. So I'm kind of saying, look, I think it's a marriage made in heaven or hell, depending on which way you look at it. But um, do you know what? It, it's it, it makes complete sense. And as much as I like to slag Kiss off, I think any metal band that gets the chance to cross over like that and perform to that mass talent is, um, you know, it's going to take that opportunity. So some of you may have been might have been waiting there for me to um, to uh, to slag them all off. But no, uh, that's not the case. Um, I just think it, it's got to be done. There's no band out there, including Kiss, who can afford not to do it these days. So, you know, fair fucks to them. Um, and I can't believe I'm, uh, I'm, I'm leaving this. Till- right. There is a live podcast in the offing. That's right. You heard me. A live podcast. Um, it's hopefully, um, I can't confirm yet. I will confirm as soon as I get the chance. Um, it is, um, it's going to be on Friday, the 18th of January. Um, I'm pretty sure about that. Hang on. Um, I was just charging my phone and, um, uh, it's it's definitely so yeah I think it's Friday 18th of January be taking place at uh, in Camden in London at the Etc Theatre where I did the um, uh, where I did the recent um, uh, spoken word thing so it will be it'll be about 6.50 a ticket um, and it will be myself and Godless yeah myself and Godless live coming at you um and um, yeah, it should be uh, it should be really cool. He's over to see some band. I said, to, "How about doing um, how about doing um, a, a live podcast?" And he was well up for it. So um, I will announce that as soon as it'd be great to see all your faces. 
It really would. Um, and uh, yeah, just uh, just rabid self-promotion at this point, really, isn't it? Just rabid self-promotion. But it could be worse. I could be Jamie Jaster. In his interview with Corey Taylor, he breaks off because he inserts adverts into the interviews as well now. Uh, he's been doing that for a while. And um, it's not so much that it's an advert. And I'm not going to give oxygen to the company that he is advertising. But suffice to say, it's an online bookie. And Jamie even falls into the trap of going, you know, people are always asking me the odds about sporting events and things like that. And I always say, use these guys. It's like, no, Jamie, that doesn't happen. You haven't been asking that. If you want to hear how adverts should be done, listen to the Bill Burr podcast. Because he argues, he gets he gets their standard um, text and he argues with it. and says, say something about how you use this product. And he goes, no, I'm not going to fucking lie. I haven't used this product, but I've, che- you know, I've, I've checked it out and they seem legit. So that's why I'm doing the advert. So when you hear those podcast adverts and you wonder how come it seems that the person who's hosting the podcast uses all the shit they're advertising, has been to all the places, it's fucking bollocks. That's what's in the text. And Jamie's fallen for that and said, you know, and and it will in the descriptor, it'll say something like, um, uh, uh, now uh, tell an anecdote um, uh, or make up an anecdote about how you use our product and how great it's been. Please give an example. And it's just like, wow. You know, people are actually doing that and podcast listeners out there are thinking, oh, wow, yeah, that's just a, that's just a, 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 you know, the guy uses that service and so, and he's pushing it. No, not at all. Not at all. Absolutely um, disingenuous is the word. Um, and um, you won't get any of that on here because you're never going to get advertised on here because I say cunt way too much. And advertising cunts don't like cunts who say cunt a lot. It's as simple as that. And I don't know why. True story, my 82-year-old mother said to me last year, Howard, what, 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 is, what, is the, what problem do people have with the word cunt? <laughs> it was a little bit of a surprise, I've got to be honest. And, um, and she said, surely once you've said it once, that's, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> right. So, so there you go. Anyway, yeah. So, um, a little anecdote about my mother saying cunt as well. Um, must run in the family. But um, so yeah, no cunting adverts on this cunting podcast. This podcast, this cunt is never going to uh, do some cunting adverts for advertising cunts for cunty products, cunty services, and all that cunting business. It's just not going to cunting happen. And um, I wouldn't cunting stand for it, no matter how much cunting money they cunting give me to cunting do their cunting fucking shitting cunting adverts. I think that's probably enough there. I've made a point, really, haven't I? <laughs> I don't know what kind of point I'm making, um, that I'm a cunt. There you go. That's put a nice little full stop on that section, hasn't it? And please feel free to take that section and make some stupid little music jingle out of it. That would actually be really cool. If anybody, if anybody out there fancies doing that, please do. Okay. Um, uh, right now I, next up is, um, so far my album of the year and completely and totally unexpected. Pin your ears back because I'm going to bore you, okay? And when I say it was totally unexpected, it wasn't just totally unexpected that it's going to be album of the year. It's totally unexpected that this artist would release an album less than a year after their last album. And not only that, but dropped it on a Thursday without anybody knowing there was anything coming. That's right. Some of you will have already guessed that smashing straight in at number one so far of albums of 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Eminem Kamikaze. 
It is fucking unfucking real. How a guy in his 40s and sober can sound so young and so stoned and so angry is an absolute fucking miracle. I can't stop playing the fucking album. It is unbelievable. And some of the flow on there is because I'm, yeah, yeah, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a fucking uh, hip hop fucking genius me. I know all about it. No, I don't, obviously. Um, it's just, I mean, being a, being a white guy, being a white English class middle, uh, sorry, being a white English middle-class guy in his mid-40s, okay? I get about 80% of it. But then I've had to go down the YouTube rabbit hole and start basically watching um, hip-hop channels and watch them breaking it down to get all of the extra bits. Because I can hear, hear the right, but sometimes, but there's, there's, there's cultural and social references in there that I don't get um, because they're, they're, well, because I don't live in the States and also because I'm not part of the hip-hop community. And there's even more depth in there than I, than I, than I was ever aware of. And that last 20 percent was just absolutely perfect and funnily enough I got it from watching hip-hop channels breaking his music down and on the album Eminem slags off hip-hop channels that break people's music down which is fucking brilliant um it is outstanding um the the I mean put it this way two weeks before I'm going to go into the studio to lay down vocals on the first Acid Rain album for 28 years am I listening to my favorite thrash bands nope Am I listening to my favourite singers? All, you know, for inspiration, to get the cogs whirring. No. For two weeks straight, all I can... It, it's all I can do to not play the Eminem kamikaze once a day. Absolutely fucking brilliant. And then, how weird is this? I get I get down to Wales. Um, before I get to Cookies, who I'm going to be staying with, our guitarist, I call in at Sainsbury's to do a shop because I'm going to be there for nine days. So I'm like, you know, do a big old shop. I wandered down the one of the aisles because you know I was I've been driving for three hours and I just kind of got into a bit of a spacey head and I ended up I mean I found myself in the fucking nappies and pet food aisle at one point don't know what the fuck that's about but anyway um, I found myself in the music aisle and I was walking past the CD chart and there was one copy of Kamikaze left I mean I, I downloaded it straight away as soon as I heard it um, and. Um, and it was just one copy of the CD left. And I was just like, well, that's obviously for me then, isn't it? I just plucked it off, stuck it in the trolley. Um, I just, I mean, I was listening to it to and from the studio as well. Um, although every day, every morning on the way into the studio, I recorded a video, which is all up on Patreon. Anyway, enough of that. Um, I just could not stop playing it. I still can't stop playing it. I go for a few days having not played it, and then play it again. And I just... I just fall in love with it all over again. I hear little bits and pieces that uh, I hadn't heard before. And I, I'm just, it is so fucking, he's just out there. He's had a go at everybody. Because um, funnily enough, when I heard it was out, I was thinking, hang on, that's less than a year since the last album. And then I thought, oh, I've got that CD in the car and I've only played it three or four times. And there's a lot on the new album about how people slated his last album. And he's just fucking gone for it. I mean, it re don't listen to the singles. Try and just listen to the very first track. If you can get hold of it, um, uh, uh, listen to it. Well, I, I'm now going to do Man Looks Up first track on phone um, because I've, I've forgotten what it's called. I think it is actually called Kamikaze. Um, here we go. Right. Uh, album's called Kamikaze. No, The Ringer. That's it. The Ringer. The first song, The Ringer. If you can find it, listen to it. It's awesome. Um 
And then moving on to some more new music that I've heard that I've been less than impressed with. And um, and this is in no way trying to fly in the face of popular opinion. You know, my my opinion is what it is. It's exactly that. It's my opinion, solely my opinion. But there's been a lot of a lot of new a lot of news, a lot of hype, and a lot of talk in the metal community about a band called Alien Weaponry. Hey, John Andrews. Um, and um, uh, I, so you know, I, I tracked the album down um, and uh, put it on my phone. And I'm, I'm really not that impressed. Yes, they're a three-piece. Yes, they're teenagers. Yes, they're from New Zealand. Yes, they're speaking in Maori sometimes. But for me, um, it, it, it does sound like a young band. Their, their arrangements are, um, for me, a bit poor. They'll get stuck in a groove too often. Um, I'm hearing a lot of um, kind of Sepultura, Slipknot, tribute riffs um now there will be people out there listening to this who fucking love alien weaponry and and you know i'm i'm not i am not in any way saying i'm right and i'm not saying that i you know i'm somehow trying to steal any of your happiness but it's just not for me and funnily enough we uh, you know shared it around because the four of the band were together um in the studio uh, and we've all we've all listened to it and basically that you know all of us in acid rain have been kind of like meh you know heavy metal hansen <laughs> It's a three-piece, and one of them's got long blonde hair. And for those of you who remember Hanson, that might be chuckle-worthy if you know what alien weaponry looked like and you know what Hanson looked like. So I would say that joke is probably pretty fucking niche, to say the least. But, um, you know, that's it. I mean, you know, uh, by all means, absolutely love them. I'm I'm not, you know, I, I think they've got potential, and I think I, I would definitely listen to another album, and I think they can only get better. And for, you know, for a bunch of young lads from halfway around the world, you know, I can only uh, applaud their their efforts. But for me, it's severely lacking. Um, They're not a thrash band. I mean, they've got a couple of fast songs, but they're not a thrash band. Um, They do like a repeated lyrical phrase. They do like to sit in a groove for a very long time. Uh, You can check some videos out in um, on, on YouTube. Alien Weaponry's the band, and hey, some people might listen to this, go check them out, and really love them. And there you go. It's all it's all about opinions, and and me, you know, sit here. I'm, I'm, I've I've kind of gone easy on them there, haven't I? Really, I've kind of I've, I've really sort of not. And I and I think it's because I can I can hear where they're coming from. I can and I can understand what they're doing. To me, it's just. It's neither A, particularly original, or B, um, particularly well done. Um, but may, but that is just me, and uh, it's just not for me. And, you know, I'm not kicking off about it like I would, you know, like I would about something like baby metal or anything like that, because they're fucking shit. But um, it's, I, I think, especially, you know, being a first band from New Zealand and, and, and they're, they're ex, you know, they're expanding, they're exporting the Maori language. They don't sing in Maori all the time. There's a few songs that are quite a few of them in English as well so you know I'd urge you to check them out and, and see what you think for me um, this is the weirdest fucking thing ever isn't it I'm urging you to check out a band I don't like that's I mean maybe there's something about them that's made me do that um, that's <laughs> this is fucking weird this is like I'm accusing them of not being very original and yet um, they are inspiring an original reaction from me, which is one of uh, encouraging you to listen to a band I'm not particularly impressed with. Well, there you go, eh? I mean, fuck no. That's how this podcast works, eh? If you're listening, that's how the Bolo cast works. And John, that's how opinion works. And if you don't like a band, 
tough fucking shit. And if you love them, great. People, people listening to this, <laughs> you, sorry, it's John Andrews, who's a, who's a, a patron, we, we were messaging about, and he was, he accused me of being the only person in the UK who doesn't like alien weaponry, which is obviously, you know, fair fucks to him because, um, you know, uh, that is some serious bollocks talked. So I, you know, it was, um, I felt like that was a talking bollocks tribute statement. Um, and, um, uh, and and it's and it certainly kind of it certainly got a rise out of me, um, and um, uh, yeah. Anyway, that, that was a bit of a fucking sidetrack. So um, yeah, I mean, give them a listen, see what you think. How many other podcasts are going to give you Eminem back to get back to back with alien weaponry? I'll tell you how many. One, this one, and that's why you listen, my lovely bollockered friends. So now it is time to get into the first interview. This is a uh, for me. I think this is a fantastic interview. Um, yeah, I said that. I fucking said that. I said something that I'm involved with is fantastic. What's fucking wrong with that? Doesn't make me an egomaniac. It's good. You'll see. Coming up, you've got 90 minutes in the company of myself and Jace Lewis, who took a break from recording. Uh, well, before an enforced break because my voice went and uh, and we used that time to record a podcast interview. It's an hour and a half long. It goes very, very deep. And um, whether you're aware of Jason's music or not, the way I describe it is it's like Nine Inch Nails and Gary Newman mixed with Fear Factory and Rammstein. Ho, 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 ho. How'd you like them apples? Definitely worth checking out Jace's stuff. He's got Door Martyr, Door spelt D-A-W, Martyr spelt as it's normally spelt. Um, that's a new single and that's up on YouTube and you can have a listen to that. Album comes out on October the 21st, Million Part 2. And um, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, myself and my very good friend and producer, Jace Lewis. <laughs> Hello, uh, welcome to um, the interview with Jace Lewis in a um, in a very different um, location um, because normally, as you guys, you can already tell by the the, the studio the, the sound quality that this is not a uh, test. Uh, yeah, this is not this is not a test. Yeah, very good one. Yeah, and um, uh, we're actually in the studio. Uh, we've got a little bit more time off than um, expected because, um, as you can hear. My voice has taken a bit of a kick in over the last three days and we tried to do some recording today but it just wasn't sounding right so we've now got a bit of an extra time to um, to, to have a chat with y'all. So uh, Jace, welcome to the Talking Bollocks podcast. Thank you. Uh, let's talk some bollocks. Plenty um, of. Plenty of, plenty mm. of. Um, now first off, before, I mean people who aren't aware of your music, I'll have done an intro and all the rest of it prior to this but... People who aren't aware of your uh, music might be surprised um, by um, a kind of a particular band that you kind of put together that never happened. Um, oh yeah, and you know the one I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, some time ago, um, I, uh, me and a, a dear friend of mine, Chris Contos, who was in uh, Machine Head um, on the Burn My Eyes album. And previously, Attitude Adjustment Kids. Yes, indeed. Um, we um, were working a lot together um, on my album for Million. And uh, and Chris and I were working so much together that we decided to um, think about putting a band together. And so during the conversations of that, we uh, came up with the idea of, well, you know, who do you know who can play bass? 
I suggested Adam Deuce, and so we reached out to Adam Deuce, and they got speaking, and so we drafted in Adam Deuce on bass. So it was Chris Contos, myself, and Adam Deuce. And then Adam was the one who, who was, you know, in his graveled kind of voice, was like, um, I wonder what Logan's up to. And so we got in touch with Logan Madder, and, uh, and all of a sudden, um, there I was faced with this original lineup of Machine Head, bar Rob Flynn. And, um, and you fronting it. And me fronting it, yeah. And no pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, there was that. I mean, a lot yeah. of, a lot of, you know, we were discussing on the phone and on Skype. You know, Jace, you're going to be compared to Rob Flynn, but it didn't bother me at all because I, I do, I do what I do, and it's completely different to what Rob Flynn does. And yeah, we were not trying to rip off Machine Head anyway. Yeah. Um, so. Um. Everything was going good. We wrote two songs um, and, you know, arranging so many things like PR. We had a guy called Juan Ortega that was going to record it and everything was coming together really well. And then all of a sudden the elections uh, started to happen. Um, the most uh, recent presidential election in the States. The most recent American presidential election. So obviously Hillary Clinton and uh, Trump, Donald Trump. And... What started to happen was that within the band, um, one guy was very pro-Obama, uh, the other guy was very pro-Trump. Right, so one was pro-Hillary. No, I can't remember. Oh, right, so it was, the, it, was, it was more the Obama-Trump than... Well, it was that one was more of a lefty and the other one's more a righty. Right, so Democrat-Republican. Yeah. But Trump is obviously a divisive figure. Yeah, and so this then started to fracture the band um, and the the work ethic that we had, and just the whole, it just halted the momentum of it. Uh, and in the end, I mean, you know, I won't mention the names of who, but um, in the end, it just fell apart, and one guy hated the other. And uh, did it get physical at all? Uh, no, no, it didn't get physical, but it did get. It did get quite um, heated, a lot, right? And uh, it got very heated, and so, um, understandably, you know, if you're not in a a band with somebody you like or agree with or whatever, what's the point? And so, that's what happened. So, the whole idea of that fell apart very quickly. It it fell apart as quick as it came together. Ah, oh, such a shame. Mm. What might have been. Yeah, and we were, you know, we were speaking about it. It was, I mean, it was genuinely exciting. It was, uh, you know, we all thought, my God, this is, you know, this is really going to be quite something in the in the music press. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, in the music media. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite a historic um, coming together of, of, uh, of, you know, old and new, pretty much. And the music that we were doing was very, um, you know, typically... It had elements of Machine Head, but it also had a lot of industrial. Um, it was it was quite something, you know. Yeah. So. Um, did so you did record stuff then? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. We recorded two tracks, and uh, you know, um, a lot of it was done over Skype, uh, and uh, you know, me and Logan have got studios, and you know, know to record and stuff. So, yeah, it came together really really quick. 
was really surprising. And fell apart just as quickly. And fell apart very quickly, yeah. So it was a real shame. Uh, yet another thing that we can blame Trump for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yet another thing that guy is to blame for, yeah. Oh, such a shame. Robbed the metal community of, uh, of what would have been um, an awesome, awesome album. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so have you still got? Uh, have you still got the demos? Uh, yeah. I'd love yeah, to hear. I've still, them I've still got them. I've still got them uh, at home. I believe. Yeah. I would love to hear those. Sometime. Yeah. I really would. Yeah. It sounded. Really uh, sounded pretty mad. I mean, actually, my track Million uh, on Million Part One kind of derived from that. I started writing Million, and you'll notice on Million that it's got that Davidian ending, where it's got that final. It's got that at the end. Well, that's all Chris Contos. Right, okay. So the more I worked with Chris, the more I realised how much of Machine Head is missing by working with Chris Contos. Yeah. He is a very, very talented, talented person, a talented all-round musician. Right, so do you think that is where him and Rob would have butted heads? And hence... Well... Um, in, it's not just been from those guys I mean I've heard a lot of stories you know good and bad about Rob and uh, you know I definitely think that the missing element the the key element that's missing from Machine Head is, is Chris Contos from, from Burn My Eyes on. Oh, definitely all of those chops uh, his ideas are just incredible you know I was really taken back by his arrangement suggestions Right. Um, how to play in, how to play out. If the guitar's going fast, the drums go slow. If the drums are going fast, the guitar goes slow. It, I mean, all of those things. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, I had no idea that, that Chris was responsible for a lot of that. Yeah. And Logan brought in all these weird squiggly things on the guitar. All of those things are missing and have been missing for years and years and years. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's an interesting one because it, it's, it's, yeah, I suppose, like you say, you know, you had that, that um, that original that original lineup bar Rob yeah. Flynn yeah so yeah. it's kind of like yeah you I really was, were at the center of what was missing yeah it was it was uh, it was really interesting to see the tapestry of uh, you know of, of 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 that band weave in and out how they all work together how how Machine Head was how it was and yeah it, and it's not like that anymore. And uh, no, I was very a, lucky. Yeah, that is a shame. That is a shame. But you mentioned um, Million Part Part One there, and Million, and obviously there's a Million Part Two as well, and they're both out. Yeah. Um, and you've just done. You've just got back from a, uh, a headline tour of yeah. the UK. How was that? It was good. It was um, yeah. It was very very good. Uh, you know, and uh, it was my first UK tour. It was a very short tour. Um, but and, and um, your first experience of. Um, uh, oh, if I, uh, typical. I cannot remember the phrase. Um, VIP. That's it. Yeah. Of, of doing VIP packages. Yeah, yeah. We did VIP um, for the very first time, and uh, you know, I, at first I was a little apprehensive of doing it, but um, actually they worked out really well. Doing the VIP was, uh, you know, the VIP packages was actually giving the fan. You know the ability to to sort of see how we live on the road, right? Okay, um, and it worked really well. You know, they, I mean, they came onto the bus. Uh, you know, we gave them this whole. That's a brave I, move, right there, letting the let letting people on your tour. Well, I told them. Well, oh, I'll just put my pants away. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, thankfully, we had a, a few of the, the, the girls on the bus who um, who do merch and uh, and Lindsay, who was doing the, the who was administrating the VIP, to, you know, they cleaned the bus up and bleached mainly Martin Thompson, the bass player's bunk. Because, uh, <laughs> but we were telling we were telling the we were telling the, the the fans like you know please ignore the smell of balls and socks. And they did, in all fairness. Well, yeah, because that is pretty much all the tour bus smells of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's kind of weird. I mean, I, th- I think that's that's cool that um, rather than just a sort of sterile, you know, take a ticket, stand in line, mm. you know, and you know, meet in in a, a room in a venue and just yeah. come in, yeah, shake hands, take a picture, sign a piece of something, yeah, and, then, and you know, yeah, that, that you kind of let them into your world as it were I think that's really cool yeah it was well when the idea was being suggested to do a VIP I mean that's what everybody thought we would do is just shake hands and thank you very much have a photograph and that was the end of that but actually I, I just wanted to add more so they you know they're in on a sound check they get to buy merch early and then they ask us questions on the bus and they have pictures with us on the bus we also did a photograph session whereby the, the picture could be printed out there and then and then we oh, sign right. it we sign the photograph for them Oh, that's cool, and also that you let them um, give you give you um, their money early as well. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's really nice. Yeah. Pay for the VIP. Yeah, you can buy merch early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can buy, you know, give us, yeah, uh, yeah. or you can just give me some money. Well, it was, yeah. well, that's happened before. I mean, I've had I've had donations. I've had fan donations in the past. That's weird. Several thousand. That is, I know that's fucking amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. It's just incredible how much music. Uh, has made a, nif- a difference in someone's life, and that's why they've done that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, well, I know um, from you know working within working with you these last um, uh, few weeks, whatever that um, that there was a, a particularly touching story. Yeah. Regarding a donation. Yeah, um, a uh, guy in his twenties um, that was suffering with uh, cancer of the lymph node. Um, lymphatic was, cancer lymphatic. an absolute bitch yeah so he not was there's any cancer that isn't he was um, <clears throat> cancer bats they're not <laughs> yeah good that's point. a band um, yeah, true but yeah he batty was cancer yeah batting cancer <laughs> no not batty cancer that's terrible uh, so, this, funny. Is, this is me oh there's a really touching story and then I just sit here and make stupid <laughs> fucking jokes yeah um, so anyway yeah. let's get back to this, this comedy <laughs> anecdote about <laughs> lymphatic cancer yeah so this guy um, this, this this guy in his uh, mid to late 20s had uh, cancer of the lymph node and he was very ill in hospital um, and there was a stage whereby it looked as though he wasn't going to make it um and um he took a turn but i released million they'd seen me supporting gary uh last year gary newman on tour and they bought the they bought the album the million part one album and uh apparently he had it in hospital he was listening to the that album over and over and over again and um it apparently gave them the um, incentive to think about a, a music career for him, to you know. So I'm not sure the backstory of if it was just to make him feel stronger and better and 
to help him through his, his this disease, um, this this illness he had. But he was um, he was recovering, um, and so much so that they decided to, when he got better, they sold up their haulage company, and decided to emigrate to New Zealand, and he's now studying music as a direct result of the Million album. Wow. And because they sold everything to move out there, um, they gave me uh, a good few thousand as a thank you present. Oh, wow. And, uh, Isn't that and, lovely? Yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, it's like, you know, and that obviously just went straight into production and albums, and so it went back into doing music. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's beautiful, though. I mean, that's a real, that's a real beautiful story, and the, the, you know, the positive power of music, which is... Mm. Which is amazing. I mean, doing doing comedy and music, it's such a different such a different vibe because um, comedy, you know, everyone's been funny at some point in their lives. You know, they've told a funny story, they've told a joke, whatever. And so, when you're a comedian, people just come up and go, "Oh, you know, that was really funny. Oh, you were really funny. Oh, you were great. Oh, that was great." I had one guy say to me, actually, probably one of the best ones was a guy, was a guy coming up and going, "I was like, I was I, I was like walking through, and he sort of saw, he saw me, and he just went." Oh fuck off, will you, mate? I've got a migraine from laughing. Oh, never. Yeah, and I'd given him a migraine <laughs> from, from laughing so much, oh, which man. was which was kind of like the ultimate compliment. But then, mm. when it goes to music, it's completely different because what music does, it has the power to um, affect people emotionally, and yeah. you know, you can hear a song and yeah. you can instill in somebody a, uh, you know, you can take them back to a particular time and emotion. Um, a part of their life and you can and done yeah. they're there yeah. and and I think that is the difference where and that's how you end up with like real fandom in music because you know people attach significant events in their lives to particular songs to particular albums whatever yeah. And, yeah. and and so when and that's why you know the, the the kind of VIP thing and everything works in music because I think there's you know, there's for some people there's a real a real want and need to to, to meet artists and to tell yeah. them how much yeah. you know how much they mean to them or you know this song this song got me through that or that song got me through that. Um, I mean, we have a song called Thoughtful Sleep and um, we played that in Manchester last year and a guy came up to me afterwards. The song is about um, a guy called Richard who commits suicide through parental neglect and I said that uh, you know this song's for Richard and we played it. And this guy came up to me afterwards and he said, he said, you made me cry tonight. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry about that. I didn't think I was that out of tune. Um, but, um, I said, um, I said, I'm sorry, what was that? He said, oh, it was just, um, he said, a friend of mine, my friend who got me into acid rain was called Richard and committed suicide. Oh, man. And when you said tonight, I've never seen you play that song live. And when you said tonight that this is for Richard and it was thoughtful sleep, he said, I was just a mess. So oh, I just man. burst out crazy. I don't know where it came from. Wow. And it was just like, and he was, you know, you could see he was kind of welling me up, telling me as well. And it was just no, like, it was wow. terrible. But when, when you know you've, that your music has had, I mean, I, that wasn't a negative effect. I, th I think it's a positive, but, you know, it is, um, I don't know, it's kind of, it's hard to describe, isn't it? Well, yeah. Um, 
you know, when I listen to music, I, I, I pull it apart. It's more of a production value that I listen in on it. Yeah. Rather than... Oh, there is that. Cause let there, it there, take me away. There, no, there is that cause we, because we've peaked behind the curtain so much now. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You, it's like people say to me, it's like, oh, that album, oh, I can't stop playing it. And it's like mm. the most I can play an album will be probably five or six times. It's like, because I know it now. Mm. Because yeah. you're used to digesting music yeah. in a different way. Absolutely. It's... it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fact. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me um, where my music ends up uh, yeah. in different parts of the world and that these people get in touch with me and, you know, they tell me that, you know, the, the, the effects of whatever album or whatever song has had on them. I mean, I can't quite believe that, you know, that my music has not only made people, for instance, have a tattoo of my name or my face on their body, but also I mean, that is just fucking mental isn't it well it's especially it's, when it's your name i mean i've seen acid rain tattoos on people yeah um and 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 it's really cool but it yeah. would freak me out if it was my fucking name well my name my face uh yeah, you know it's it's very different um, where was the face tattooed on the chest on the chest of he the, must have really liked you it was a woman it was a woman an, oh. an italian woman really um yeah when you I say think, the chest yeah, like right in between the breasts. It was, uh, right, it was, it was okay. quite a big tattoo as well. It was uh, quite, um, you know. I mean, I've, 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 I've sort of learned to to just accept it, really, and uh, to not freak. Out. It actually freaked out my friends more than it freaked me out. I remember yes, some of yeah. my friends were like, "Oh my god, that's so weird," and they would, you know, I'd have a photograph sent to me on Facebook or whatever. Um, put on my wall of a tattoo and then one of my friends would be like oh my god that's so weird I've known Jace since blah 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 yes. and I'd have to say to them man chill out you've got Sepultura on your leg or yes. you know Nick Cave or something like that yeah it's the same yeah. thing you know so uh, yeah so, well you know. you know I've got acid rain on my leg that freaks me out oh really <laughs> yeah why because you're in acid rain <laughs> yeah exactly oh, right. I look at it and go wow that guy must really like acid rain maybe I should oh, put Jace Lewis on my me. wrist <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well, it will come in handy if you ever forget your name. Yeah, absolutely. Well, or people say, you know, what's your name? And you just hold your, just hold your wrist hold your up. Hold your wrist up. Yeah. 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 Jace Lewis, motherfucker. Yeah, Jace Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you've um, you've done some incredible things. You've been all over the world. Um, I, I mean, I will have done a description of, of kind of like your your music, as it were, mm. for people and uh, for those who, who don't know your work. Um, but you've worked with some incredible um, artists over the years as well, haven't you? I mean, working with working with Queen, working with Gary Newman. I mean, Queen right there. That's a. Um, I mean, that is I, that's the gold standard, isn't it? I mean, it just doesn't get doesn't get bigger. Or yeah, I mean, that does feel like the ultimate to me, really, because uh, yeah. you know, being a Queen fan that I I was and still am as a when I was a child. Ditto. Um, and uh, my dad had um, Bohemian Rhapsody played at his funeral. So there you go. Uh, it always meant a lot. Absolutely. Within our family. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um, you know I mean I was in the Queen fan club. My mother would would uh, sign me up for a year um, when I was a child, and to uh, to be a member of Queen fan club, and I'd I'd have a booklet every three months or something like that. Yeah. I just found it incredible. You know, I I found Queen amazing, and then Cause, yeah, well, because they are. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, they yeah. are. I mean, yeah. the, <clears throat> the music and the hits that they've had and just the backstory and everything is just incredible. And it was Brian May's guitar that really sold it to me. I just loved yeah. the sound of that guitar. 
Um, I love the, the vocal prowess of Freddie Mercury, his stage presence. I mean, to have to, to have that into. I mean, talk about the whole package. Oh to God, have yeah. that. Yeah. To have that a vocal ability, which was just jaw dropping. Oh, but but then to be able to match that yeah. with mm. the uh, ability as a frontman as well is just. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah, well, I you just you know you just think of the songs that they've written, um, and then the performance live for me it was just mind blowing. Well, also the eras as well because you had <laughs> these sort of guitar based kind of rock driven mm -hmm. yeah. Queen, yeah. but then you had like you know from the Works onwards yeah. after their yeah. kind of hiatus you had the that next era of Queen. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean you know you you put. You put Bohemian Rhapsody and I Want to Break Free next to, next to each other and there's no way you think that's the same band. Yeah. Apart yeah. from the voice. And know? Who I Wants mean, to Live Forever and all oh, of that. man. I mean, you know, like the, like the Innuendo album, uh, the drum kit that was used on that album was the same person and drum kit that was used on my song Wrath. Because Roger, wow. Roger drummed on Wrath for me on my Nemesis album and it was the same kit. And wow. spookily enough, when you listen to Innuendo and then you listen to Wrath, you can instantly tell. Yeah. The same snare, down. the same, even does the, a couple of rolls that are the same, a couple of drum rolls. Yeah. I mean, it's just bizarre. And, you know, he's got a good voice as well. I'm in love with my car. I mean, I, yeah. I've always loved that song. Yeah. Um, who now? Roger Taylor. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got into Roger's uh, side project, which was the, called The Cross. Mm -hmm. um, and um, ironically, The Cross um, had a drummer called Josh McRae, and that's the guy that introduced me to both Brian and Roger. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, he was the drummer in The Cross, and he works with Queen all the time now. As a like, He's in production and administrates a few things for him. Yeah. Um, great guy, and uh, I owe him a lot, because he's the man that got the ball rolling with Brian and Roger for me. Um, but um, it's... It makes me pause to sometimes realize and think back that I've actually worked with a pair of them now, you know. Yeah. And uh, not only speak to Brian every now and then, and uh, I met up with him a few months ago um, at their show. You know, we were lucky to be taken on stage and shown around. I jumped on Roger's drum kit. I had Brian's wow. guitar in my hand and no, analyzed it. it like I like I would. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Analyzing yeah. every nut and bolt and wood grain yeah. yeah and then and then hung out with uh with brian and anita his wife um at the after oh, show where where i then finally met uh jackie who is the um the the head woman of the queen fan club who i've oh, been speaking wow. to yeah i've been speaking to her on email and she um couldn't believe that i went from you know this this eight nine ten year old queen fan to now working with Queen on music that we've written together. Yeah, that isn't well, if she can believe it, you can believe it. Yeah, yeah. so I mean we had a we had a, a a big hug over that and uh and we talked for a little while and then Brian came along and tapped me on the shoulder and just went, oh, you know, how's things? You know, in his friendly <laughs> voice and uh and then we got speaking um about um cyborg and a little bit of astronomy and awesome. cyborg is a song he wrote in 96 which is where i got the idea of yeah. using the guitar i'm surprised you haven't clashed over your love of badger baiting as well yeah well, <laughs> <laughs> badger bashing we call it in wales no 
Yeah, we have spoken about that actually. We have because I yeah. I'm I'm deadly uh, I'm dead against animal cruelty and fox hunting, and me and Brian have spoken about it n- a number of times. Yeah, because he's like he's immensely passionate and very public oh, as well. Very really, very know, outspoken about it, and, and absolutely right as well. You know, I mean, it's it's just it's disgusting. You know, I can't stand it. Um, you know, I was actually traumatized as a child with fox hunting. We used to have a fox hunt on the back of my house. And I was traumatized. I didn't see the fox being ripped, ripped apart, but uh, I could hear it, and it was sick. Uh, yeah, I think I was about ten, nine or ten, and it absolutely put the terror into me. Yeah, and I, I swore to myself ever since that if I ever see anyone doing that, I'll uh, I'll do the same to them. You know, yeah. I feel that passionate about it. Um, Fair uh, play, mate. Fair. I mean, mm. you know. I um I uh, I lived in a, I lived in the um I was brought up in the countryside as well. Yeah. And um we didn't have, we didn't have a we didn't have a hunt but I was just like I, it just uh, just as a natural reaction to it. You just I just think well like a what's the point in that? B isn't it a bit unfair? Uh do you know well, what I mean? It's just, I just mean, like just the method hello? the method. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the method. You know. Oh and also, but also then there's that, that the barbaric act of blooding somebody on their first oh. their first hunt and stuff like that. It's just like, Yeah, oh, I mean what year are we in? Me. What yeah. year are we in? You know, twenty first century intelligence, great intelligence. People, you know, we've I mean we can take photographs on our mobile phones, we can speak it's it's just Yeah, but to be fair. And let, well, it yeah. depends what phone. No, no, but yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're talking intelligence and all the rest of it. It's like, yeah, and Trump's president of America. Come on. Well, you know, there is. There, there I is think that was an element of protest. Um, um, I don't believe yeah. that. I can't quite believe that America would be that stupid. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I guess, you know, I apparently, guess, apparently, apparently so. it's okay to say that you grab women by the pussy and women are still going to vote for you. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't fucking know what you yeah. have to do. Um, yeah, it is. Anyway, that that's a whole nest of vipers. It's, it's, it's a can of worms. Yeah, yeah as, as Alan Partridge would say, that's a whole nest of vipers. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and yes, um, uh, uh, we we Jace could switch um, the notifications off on his phone, but I like the idea that every time when a notification goes off on that phone, people listening to this will be checking their phones. I've turned it down now. Yeah. If they're, if they're, um, if they're like playing it like at home through like you know stereo, ping. Oh, I've got a message. No, yeah. Oh, what the fuck's going on here? Oh my god, my mind. So, oh. in case you were wondering, no, don't worry, it's not your phone. It's fucked <laughs> up. That's Jace's. That's Jace's um, notifications yeah. coming in. Um, so um, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention as well was obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but you've. Um, You've got quite a um, a strong bond with um, with with the Ramstein guys, yeah, and um, which yeah. is kind of weird because you've like never never played together. Yeah, no, we've never toured. Uh, much to many people's misunderstanding, a, a few people have thought that we have been on the road together. Um, Me being one of them, but um, yeah, but yeah, we've I've never toured with them. Um, I'd like to, and I have uh, pestered uh, Christoph every now and then. Um, but I became friends with Christoph, the drummer at Sonosphere Festival. There was kind of a, uh, at the time, I think it was 2010 or 11, there was a real buzz about going around amongst artists, not amongst the public over this way in the UK, but amongst artists of this electronic guy that was doing the retro electronica of, you know, mid eight mid to late 90s 
and was getting a lot of attention about it over the east uh, in, yeah. in, the, in the east region and so obviously that was myself and the description of it was somewhat of a heavier nine inch nails thrown into the camp of Depeche Mode Ramstein being massive Depeche Mode fans um, eventually cottoned on who I was back back in the artist area and we just got chatting um, myself and Christoph uh, initially and uh, and me Christoph and and his now uh, wife uh, Yuli and we just struck up a chord you know we just got on really really well and kept in touch uh, got to know Till uh, through it all as well and uh, it was quite weird actually because on the on the night when I was speaking to Christoph the first time I actually met Till was Till tapping me on the shoulder in this very brooding you know uh, German accent and just said uh uh, hello, uh, cookers, hookers and cocaine, this way. And was just pointing towards his tent. <laughs> and, um, and you know, it just sort so of stopped me. So, so obviously about, like, you know, 15 hours later, you woke up in a bin. Yeah, well, <laughs> with the rest of the prostitutes. Uh, and thought, yeah, well... T- turn, turns out he was offering you a job as a prostitute. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, I'd end up paying them, that's the thing. But, um, so... So that's the first time I met Till, and um, did you go? Did you go? Did you no, go? I didn't. No, I, I, I was <laughs> okay. just having far more. I was just having a bigger conversation with with uh, Christoph. Me and Christoph yeah. were just talking about drums and what it was like to be in Ramstein, and um, I just got on really, really well with him, really yeah. well. As as drummers do, <clears throat> yeah, as as we do. Because it is weird. It's like singers. Mm. Singers can singers can when they click together, mm. they there there is just it, it's just weird. And I think it's the same with, with drummers as well. And, I, and I'm going to pick those two. I don't think it's the same with bass players, guitarists. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But I think that because the drumming and singing are two such different disciplines, yeah. and you know, one's back of the stage, one's right at the front of the stage, um, they are both equally important. They're very Without physical. the drummer, it falls apart. Without a good front, front man or singer, yeah. then mm. it falls apart. And and yeah. I think that I think there's there's there so when you get those two sets of musicians clicking, mm. well musicians drummers, um, <laughs> couldn't resist. Um, <laughs> yeah, not not a musician, yeah, a drummer. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? I sing. What do you do? I play guitar. What do you do? Bass. What do you do? I hit things. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it, it, but it is they're two really unique positions and when you get those when you get so when they when you meet somebody and you click like that I yeah. think it is it's like there's 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 almost like this unique sort of bond that takes place really quickly because you understand the intricacies of of what you do yeah, yeah. well I, I, they're both very physical I mean you you know playing mm. the guitar and playing the bass I mean yeah they throw themselves around or whatever but it's all ultimately with the hand you know, with the hands, hands and I mean, arms, hands and arms, forearms, especially thrash, yeah, especially thrash. But um, drumming and you should see the forearms on uh, Paul. Looks like fucking Popeye. Oh really? Yeah. A pucker Popeye. Pucker pucker Popeye. Yeah. It's weird because his, his forearms look like Popeye, and yet Cookie looks like Popeye. And he loves spinach as well, which is fucking weird. Oh my god! When I was driving down here, he sent me a message saying, "Pick up. Remember to pick up some." Uh, can you pick up some spinach for me? And I was like, yep, yeah, no worries, Popeye. Oh, <laughs> God. Sorry, I fucking went off on a tangent there. So yes, guitaring and playing. Yeah, I just find, like, well, I mean, I've gone from being a, I've gone from being a drummer to a guitarist. Uh, 
I've gone from being a drummer. What, what do you do now? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> I've gone from being a drummer to a front man. Yeah. You know? um, from the back of the stage to the front of the stage. Yeah. I used to be terrified. I'm still terrified now again up on stage. Um, I used to have a really big drum kit. Really? Are you, seriously? Are you terrified? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. You get stage fright? Do you get nervous? Uh, I get very nervous. Really? High, yeah, massively, yeah. Wow. I get very nervous. I have a f- kind of panic attack. Uh, Bloody hell. Yeah. And, uh, but the weird thing about it is that it kind of um it does something to me before i get just before i get on stage i am petrified and i'm panicking and i'm thinking things through i'm overthinking basically and then as soon as i get on stage that fear turns into real um a real energy uh sort of an adrenaline a very very aggressive adrenaline yeah and that's when I get on stage and I feel like I own it then. Yeah. Um, but in the back of my mind, I'm still, I'm still, you know, Computing how pants. this can go wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anxiety. Always. Yeah, it is like a form of anxiety, yeah. yeah. I would say that. Yeah. Um, it's not anxiety because I did suffer with that last year. Um, but, uh, but it is a very weird out-of-body experience. And somehow it just... Um, propels me into being this um, strangely confident, angry esque kind of frontman. Yeah. But it's so far from the truth. It's uh, I'm actually terrified. That's well, that's weird because. But then again, I suppose because you're a producer, because you piece all your music together, um, yeah. and, and I mean that's ultimate control. I mean nobody plays on your stuff unless you offer them a guest spot. And um, yeah, and and so that that's absolute control. And mm. then you go to the live arena, and it's the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. You are now not in control of anything. Yeah, that's you know, that's very. The right. only thing you can affect is the vocals. That that that's it, and 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 obviously oh, the well, crowd. And the funny thing is, know, though, I, I remember sp- I remember speaking to Till about this because I asked him. Um, it wasn't when I met him. It was it was um, when we were in Nottingham. Um, I actually brought Gary Newman with me. Um, I had Gary and his wife and some of his band and crew on my guest list to, to meet to meet Ramstein. Right. And me and Till were speaking about this, and I said, you know, uh, how do you overcome, you know, do you get panicky or do you get sort of um, scared or whatever? And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, how do you overcome it? And he said, well, um, I don't perform to the audience. I perform to the sound engineer. Yeah. And yeah. I started doing that. And that has helped. The yeah. thought of eyes looking on me <clears throat> is just terrifying. I, I, I like, I like, I like yeah. connecting with people. I like looking yeah, at. I, them. I like see. to see who's enjoying it. I like to see various reactions. Yeah, um, no, I'm not like that at all. But then, but but yeah, but also as a stand-up, you have to do that. Because oh right. You, as a stand-up, if you went on and performed to the back of the hall, you just die on your ass because you're not connecting with the audience. You're not in the room. Oh yeah, of course. You ain't got music going on. You know, it's it's just you. So you've yeah. got you've got to do that. Um, yeah, I couldn't do that. See, that's not me. Um, it's not your wheelhouse. No, it, it's 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 it's. It, I mean, it's not so bad now, but I I do get terrified. Um, also, I, but also headlining, it's another level of. Yeah, because there is there is a real yeah exactly that a real um, a real sort of. Um, 
yeah, a real high measure of responsibility. I mean, people are there for you now. Oh, yeah. And I yeah, felt that on the yeah. tour, you know. We did this headline tour, albeit four or five shows, and it was um, it, it was quite interesting to have a congregation of just my fans. I wasn't, on, I wasn't in a support slot. Yes. So yeah. it was extra. It was like another level for me. Yeah. And I've never experienced that before. Never. Right, okay. I always have come in as as the sort of undercard. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, and I like that. Oh yeah, the underdog. Yeah. <clears throat> I loved coming in as the undercard and, yeah. and or the underdog. Yeah, because you can. Well, and the thing is, you can overachieve as a headliner. You exactly. Can overachieve. Yeah. So, but now that we did the headline tour, it it really did rack it up to another level, and uh, and I felt really on form, you know, and uh, seeing people. Um, being the way they were in the audience and you know the VIPs that we had I mean it was like uh, you know my god these people are here to see me and nothing yeah. else and uh, yeah. it was a real boost of inc- uh, of confidence and a real um, made me look at myself and believe in what I've achieved to date you know, yes which I've never really done well and that's very important it's very important because you can you can get trapped in that walking off stage and start thinking about the next gig yeah. And not walking off stage and going, right, that was a really good gig. Yeah. That was really great fun. Mm. That was, you know, and, and everybody had a good time and it's gone down really well and yeah. we played really well. And, yeah. and and I've fallen into that habit before of walking off stage and just literally, as you come off stage, you just, as soon as you come off stage, that's the end of all of that. Yeah. And you yeah. start thinking about the next date. Yeah. And that is yeah. not a good thing to do. No, I agree. Totally because, agree. I, and, and also, you know, if you don't enjoy the fruits of your labours, then what's the point? Yeah, I agree. You know, totally you've got, agree. and, and it, I think it's that thing. I mean, it's, it sounds very sort of, it sounds very um, uh, American counselor, uh, American therapy kind of thing. But it's about being present. It's yeah. about being in the moment I and agree. appreciating each moment for what it is. Mm. You know, totally, absolutely. Um, and um, speaking of which, and uh, being in the moment, um, I know that. Um, a million Part Two has just come out, and uh, I, I also know that that was um, an epic and emotional journey for you. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a tough times. A very, very difficult time for me, um, and a, a real um, sense of of um, being in a in a headspace and in a zone that I would never ever want to revisit or ever be in ever again. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I was, um, yeah, you know, I was in a in a long term relationship, and uh, with uh, a person that was a a very good friend before the relationship, and uh, it came to a very sudden end. Um, the the day before, I had to record vocals for the last two songs, and the day before, I got into mixing and producing the album. Yeah, and um, it was a really uh, heartbreaking, um, horrible, horrible time for me, and trying to keep my head focused uh, in order to to keep the album going forward was just um, very painful. And you know, I mean, we're sat in the studio where I did it, and. Um, you know, I was here from uh, from half eight or eight a.m. through to one a.m. Uh, 
most nights because I just couldn't face the thought of going home and being on my own. Yeah. Um, it was the the first feeling I have ever had of the sense of um, totally um, realizing that I had a sense of belonging and a, a sense of attachment, and it had been removed immediately with yeah. immediate effect. And it, the effects of that on me, I'm still grieving yeah. now. Uh, yeah. But um, I can't even listen to Million Part Two anymore. Um, you know, I think when the album was sent off for mastering, um, I could only afford three seconds or up to maybe six seconds at most of, of, uh, of my listening time before it started to upset me. And, uh, and so I could only do that for mastering. And I just said to Dick Beetham, who's a very good friend, who, who's always mastered my albums, you know, I, I said, it's all fine. I trust your ear on it. I can't really listen to it. Told him what had happened, and uh, and uh, he was fine with that. And um, and yeah, we, and we and we we kind of put it out. I mean, it's out October the twelfth, um, but fans have been able that that did come to the uh, the headline tour have been able to buy early copies. Yeah, and they've all said it's the best album I've ever done. That which, you can't listen to. <clears throat> that I can't listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, um, there's a certain song in there called Demigod, um, uh, and you can hear it in my voice in the chorus um, because that was the first song I actually had to record vocally. Um, I'd already done the verses, but I had to do the chorus the day after. And, and you can hear it in my voice, and I tried everything in my power to smooth it out and try and just to try and do a bit of pre-production to try and iron out this this heartbreak that you could hear in my voice and uh, and you just couldn't you just could not um, there was just no way around it and in the end I just gave in and thought well it is what it is it feels like it's just a a moment in time now held in within a, a, a capsule a medium capsule of music that I never want to revisit and uh, and that I will never forget um, and oddly enough I did up a, a post on my social medias of the moment that I actually exported the final song um, at midnight uh, one evening I remember saying that yeah, yeah. Um, I remember saying it and reading it and thinking I hope you're alright and I didn't know I didn't know anything that had gone on but I just yeah. remember thinking you know I hope you're okay and, and my apologies for not getting in touch at the time and, and asking you that no it was um it was uh, to be honest with you it, uh, a lot of a lot of my friends a lot of people just didn't know how to react because it i mean it just happened suddenly and uh and you know a lot of people didn't see it coming especially myself and uh um the weird thing about it is that i've lost a friend yeah you know i've lost a, my best friend as know, a whole as a whole in yeah, every way possible and, yeah as a whole and, in and, uh, yeah you know, I'm not going to go into any details, but you know, it's it's just um, uh, it's it's been a very very difficult time, and I've done everything in my power to to try and um, put th you know get it back and 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 have things back as they once was, but uh, it's just to no avail. And so, trying to write the album, or rather produce it, right after the 
right after it all for me was was absolutely almost impossible you know and uh and it's all caught up in that one album and uh you know um when you hear the term blood sweat and tears went into an album i mean there's no truer phrase maybe not blood but certainly a lot of tears yeah uh and you know for instance when i did put that post up on my social media just saying i didn't really go into um what had happened now i can kind of say it was a, a a real tragic kind of relationship breakdown really that meant the world to me um and i can only say that now because you know we're, we're several months on and uh and it's um and it's you know it's 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 easier for me to to, to speak about it but at the time i really felt like i was just caught up in this very isolated um i was in this very enclosed almost uh like a claustrophobic headspace that i didn't feel i could kind of reach out to anybody at all um and i i had some you know some mad things going through my mind to the point where it would actually push me to get counseling eventually and i only ever had the one session but it was enough yeah because it freaked me out totally freaked me out i felt as though it opened up a can of worms within myself and um what the counseling or the, the counseling oh, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. well both actually you know um because the you know the the you know the breakdown of that um sent me on a on a tangent you know like a i, I was ripping myself to bits myself yeah blaming myself and yeah. ripping myself apart um and uh, as i typically do because i was just finding fault within myself yeah and um and my you know it was tearing my father's heart to bits because my father was just trying to trying to be the best he could um you know i spoke to dave about it dave prouse and and his wife norma and they were wonderful about it and it was just all very i just didn't know how to act i i felt lost and i felt very um alone absolutely alone and uh yeah. and so here i was alone didn't want to go home all i could do was just put i just wanted to keep my mind occupied by doing million part two yeah and so i uh i put my everything into just doing that and um and it was uh it was just just very strange because there's a lot of emotion in that album more than any of my albums because it was right after it i also added in a few things on synths i also added a few things vocally uh extra because of the headspace i was in and it's interesting how it just changed the whole it changed the parameters of of what i was originally intending the album to sound like and it just put it into a very somber um emotional uh you know piece of piece of music and uh it's probably the most operatic kind of closest thing i could say is operatic but it's probably the closest operatic kind of piece of a piece of work i've ever done but i've only got to hear a few seconds of a certain part of a song and I, I'm, I'm like i start instantly going back to that going back, back to that very moment yeah um 
Yeah. So right. it's, well, it's funny because we were we were talking about you know about our music mm. triggering emotions and things in, yeah. other, in other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. like it's the ultimate, you know. Yeah, yeah, my t- own, your own music. music triggering stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's. I mean, I, I the, the the tragic thing about it is that I I couldn't identify myself for the first month and a half month. Certainly, the first you know several weeks directly after, and uh, and I've I've likened it to to like a death. You know, it's like Ooh. as if. Um, like as if somebody's died and yeah. and somebody yeah. that uh I cared about and loved very much and uh just cut off instantly and and you know it just kind of well it is it's it's grief isn't it you you're grieving, That's exactly you're grieving for that you know just because they're still just because that person is still alive doesn't mean that you know you can't grieve for what you've lost you know yeah i mean uh, I, sometimes you know I've I've had the I've got the ability to be able to um, uh, compartmentalize yeah. some feelings quite well. If something if if something die you know if somebody dies if an animal dies you know like my old dog years ago and stuff I'm able to grieve it for a little moment and 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 deal with that. Or sometimes I can just put up a, a, a sort of a veil and mm-hmm. and it doesn't pierce through. None but, um, of that is particularly healthy. <laughs> no, no, it's, yeah, uh, but, you know, and it's just a very guarded, because I, you know, the one things I learned, the, the big thing I learned about the counselling was that I had to be protective um, of an inner part of myself, which I'm very, now very protective of. Yeah. And th- so through, um, through uh, what had happened, it had really brought that to the forefront, and I've never felt so vulnerable, so um, vulnerable, so lost, so opened up, so wide open, and uh, yeah. and so raw. You know, it was a, a very, very challenging time, uh, and one that um, all I could do was put my entire energy into Million Part Two. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, even your album, you know, even Acid Rain, because uh, you guys were directly uh, right after that, and uh, and you know, it's it's kept me being occupied, and I've managed to put my emotional aspect of it into into music. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure, you know, we're all human, and I'm sure that anybody that's lost anybody, or whether it be through death or or relationship or whatever, you know. If, if somebody's a big part of your life for a long time um, it's going to uh, it's going to make you rethink and it was probably the most sobering uh, sobering time of my life and and still is I still reflect and and wish I could turn back the clock and change things and yeah. make things better or or whatever but I can't do that and so sadly for me it's all in that album and yeah. uh, that album for me it will always be a, a closed, closed book. Well, you know, when you were saying about um, when you were saying about you can hear the heartbreak in your in your voice on that chorus. Yeah. And when you were saying you were trying to take it out. Yeah. You were trying. Were you were you trying to take it out from a musical perspective, or were you trying to take it out from a I don't want people to hear that part of me perspective? That 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 yeah, I didn't want people to hear it. Right. Because I um. Yeah, because you know, 
it, uh, well there's only so much you can give of yourself you have to yeah. have, you have to hold something back yeah yeah it's uh, yeah, it's, yeah it's taking me right back to it now actually but it um, yeah there's uh, there's another song on it called uh, Mimic and the the uh, uh, the middle eight of that song um, I'm in a real state and uh, I have never <coughs> I couldn't even identify my own voice Right. Couldn't even identify my own um, singing voice. It was that odd for me. Wow. And, yeah. um, and I tried to, I tried to sort that out. I, I actually deleted. Uh, I actually deleted the the um, the track, and I tried to do it again, and it it just uh, it just sounded wrong. So I've left it in, and you can definitely tell there's something not right with me. Um, and again, on that song, that very song, um, my head was in such a bad place that I couldn't even write the second verse. So I just used the pre-chorus, which is eat, sleep, repeat. It goes on for an entirety of a verse. Right. Um, because I, I ran out of time. And, and, and because that's all you were doing at the time. That's all I was doing, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty much... Yeah. Um, pretty much that well except I wasn't sleeping you know I mean <laughs> yeah. I was having um, you know I was anxiety uh, was all over me again and uh, in a, but a very different sort of anxiety a very kind of um, pain anxiety yeah. you know and yeah. Uh, and yeah I've just uh, a moment in time I will never revisit it's just like that post I put on on social media um, because I only put that up because I was paranoid about people being able to tell that this is a very different kind of album. And although everyone that's had it and bought it and borrowed it and sto stolen it, I've all said it's my best. Um, it's uh, gutting for me to hear that because I can't, uh, I can't and will not listen to it. Yeah, you know, um, Door Martyr is a very different cutler of fish because that was written a long time before any of uh before any of this happened you know before i even got into a relationship but um that was actually written about six years ago but the rest of it was very on the button at the time and right. uh well funnily enough when you <clears throat> played me Dormata the other day yeah you just played me that one track and i was like really surprised that you didn't play any of the other tracks off <sighs> off it and now of course now i know why yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah well um yeah, I can't. I just cannot do it. And the band want me to play. Um, uh, they want me to do like um, Martin wants to do mimic, and uh, and I can't remember the other ones want to do. But I've I've just flat said no. I don't even want to hear them ever again. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't listen to it. You know, it's uh, my father played it the other day, um, and uh, I he knew straight away because as soon as I came came in the house he was there you know and he was playing it and he turned it off straight away knowing that it would upset me right um and it's mad it's absolutely mad that that's happened you know um timing and and all of that but uh you know uh, anybody that does hear that album will know now um and that's the weird thing as well isn't it because it's like there's there's you know you will you'll have people come and say like oh you know this this song or this bit is like oh you know that's amazing and all of us and and it, and you're thinking well you know yeah that's that's me that's me coming apart at the seams right there oh you know? man yeah it's more like, even more than that yeah. you know I mean 
it was it was not cool i had uh you know i had i had some very 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 dark times and uh and i didn't recognize myself and uh, i almost felt as though i was i mean this might sound strange but i felt as though i was constantly out of my own body looking at myself yeah trying to function yeah and i couldn't no, i know exactly the feeling that yeah, yeah, yeah. It that, was um, it looking was, at your own hands and going, I just, "Are they my hands?" Yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, and and bless his heart, Sanj, who owns the Corcoma Manor, which is you know we're we're like um like if you like sort of business partners. I got my recording studio here, and, and he's got his hotel. I mean, he was coming in here every day, bringing in a beer or having a chat with me and whatever. And he was um, fundamentally a. Uh, uh, a real rock for me yeah um and uh you know i have him to thank massively he was one of the one of the one of the real people that sort of kept me together and and actually said come on mate you gotta finish that album you know and just yeah. kept me going and my father was the same and um yeah it was just just so strange i've just never ever i've never been in that headspace before yeah i mean you know i've been sad and happy and whatever else but <laughs> yeah. actually to actually have gone and needed counseling with this lovely lady called Joanna uh, <clears throat> I've never ever had to do that before and I've never um, never been in that place and it was frightening it's frightening yeah. me now actually thinking back to it because you yeah. know I just wasn't thinking straight at all I, I just couldn't could not function right yeah and when you rip yourself apart like that, you know, it's like self-destruct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you if know? you haven't got you, who have you got? Exactly. Yeah. And I was ripping I was ripping me apart. Yeah. You know? Um at the same time trying to trying to remedy and repair. And it was just uh, just not happening. Yeah. So it's a very, very um sad album for me. Uh and it'll sound pretty upbeat and whatever else, but uh yeah, you know, it'll. Uh, it's a very sad album. But did did the did the tour kind of like help get stuff out of your system? Was that kind of like a, um, you know, being able to go out on stage as we were talking about being a headliner? And do you think it gave you a different perspective? Um. It's, um. Well, I mean, it. I don't mean on the album, but I mean in like you know. I'm I'm making progress. I'm moving forward. Yeah, every you know? day, every step. Um, yeah, every day um, from from there on in now, uh, especially on the tour, um, I just realised that um, people do care, you know. Yeah. And uh, and the weird thing was, for the first time, really, I'm often a guy that I keep my private life very private. But if I need help on something, I will reach out. On this, um, I was not wanting any help. Yeah, couldn't just just I just couldn't function in that way, and uh, and I was just having these very mini breakdowns, and so I would speak to Sanj or I would speak to Cyan, um, my bass player, my other bass player, in fact, Martin, bless his heart, he actually came in, he came from Bristol to have a beer with me that night, the day after. Um, and sp um, spent the night down here and just had to hear me out, really. Um, so talking about it 
had helped and it also made me realize a few things about myself you know um yeah which is why i, I went to and had counseling yeah um which in a weird way <laughs> opened up a can of worms it's kind of like oh shit <laughs> oh my god i'm crazy <laughs> you know oh, I, it gets worse before it gets better yeah well yeah, it yeah. did uh, well yeah. the the mad thing is is that what happens now which has never happened before is when I feel something a certain way, I actually now res- re- resort to what we spoke about me and Joanna in the, in the counseling session. And that now helps me. And yeah. for years and years, I was telling lots of people, you know, um, you know, friends of mine, they're all on, on antidepressants. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. They're all on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said to them, you haven't got to be on that. Because, uh, well, those people, some of them are on antidepressants because, um, you know, they, they just... It's a chemical, a chemical, it's a chemical imbalance, imbalance in the brain. And, but some people yeah. are going on them because of a certain situation. And, it's, yes. and I say to yeah. them, it's not you, it's the situation. Yes. The situation comes and goes, you know, but if you're trying to if you become self-medicate... And become reliant on that. Yeah. Exactly, then it's going to rewire you and then it's just going to make things worse. So I've... Now try to realize, try to tell myself, this is just a moment. Yeah. It's a very dark and painful and, and won't make any sense. But one day it might. You know. and, th- and there'll be another side <coughs> to it. And, and the day that you can listen to Million Part Two and, <sighs> we, you, you know, and not go back to that place is when you realize that you know, you've got closure on that situation, that you've moved on, that you've emotionally healed. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that it's, it's a different time in your life. It's funny, somebody once said to me something, it's always stuck with me, and they said, they said, when anything like that, when anything shit happens in my life or anything like that, I said, do you know what I think? I always think, do you know what? In 10 years, I'll just be a distant memory. Yeah. And, and that's always stuck with me. I'm not saying it's like, you know, it's a, a, a tool to use, you know, mm. to solve anything. Yeah. But it's just, it, it's kind of like, a, oh, yeah. And then and I always like think, right, what was I up to 10 years ago? What was... What was you know? What was I doing? Where was I? Yeah. And you think, yeah. yeah, you know what? Yeah. Christ, you know that's that's. Yeah. Well, this is certainly going to be one of those times where I'm going to never forget it, but also want to forget it. If you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, absolutely. It's not something that you that you, you've dwelled on it enough, and it's it's yeah. kind of like the next cycle of your life is 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 beginning. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, it's um. It's enabled me to, to sort of look at myself, you know, um, even more, you know, in, in, a, in a different perspective, rather than just being this uh, unfazed um, on a mission type entity or whatever it yeah. is, you know, that, um, that nearly every friend of mine says that I have been for years. I can identify with that. And uh, I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure you can. And I've had a look at things differently in, in that sense. And, uh, and it, it's, definitely changed me you know i mean don't get me wrong you know i'm I, I was, i've never been a horrible person or anything like that that's not what it is but yeah um <clears throat> you know it's just been one of those chapters in my life that um that has made a real significant change on certain parts of me and, and some some sort of self-realization and um you know, the album 
I mean, if you buy Million the vinyl, you will see that there's two faces on it. You know, it's two faces facing each other, and it's a self-reflect. It's 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 meant to signify self-reflection. Never has it ever been such a truer yeah. uh, theme and more poignant theme than that for me on this album. And yet, you know, when I did Million One, everything's great. Did Million Two, everything's gone. Incredible. Yeah. And. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's lots of other things on it which I'll tell you later. But you know, it's just things that are just spooky about million. Yeah. Really. Coincidences. Yeah. Very, very, very. Well, I'll show you actually. Um, you know, that being one of them. Wow. Yeah. So that won't be on any album after this either. Yeah. So. Wow. So yeah, it's quite. Um, it's it's eerie very eerie for me that puts a puts a tin hat on it really doesn't it it does yeah 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 it does wow. <clears throat> so yeah there you go <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the troubles of jace lewis yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i think i think everybody knows you a little bit better now <laughs> well well you know i you know the thing is i'm bearing all you know i wear my heart on my yeah. sleeve and i put it in my music also so but that's what, but that's what people connect to, and that's what people, you know, that's that's what an artist does. You know, yeah. I mean, as an artist, you take risks and you put yourself out there. I mean, a prime example of that is when I'm when I'm doing comedy. I can see, and um, a friend of mine, a comedy promoter, I, is a really good friend of mine. Um, I I MC a kind of um, tryout night because I like to see like the new talent coming through. Yeah, you know. There's no money in it for me, but I like to stay sort of connected to that mm -hmm. that part of the circuit. Yeah, and um, you can spot a mile away if somebody gets up there and they start performing, and straight away it'll start jarring, and we'll look at each other and saying, "This isn't, this isn't genuine. This isn't." And then you go, and then we'll look at each other and go, "Actor." Oh, man. and it'll be an actor yeah. trying out stand up, and what they're doing is they're getting up there. And yeah. they are performing yeah. stand-up. And that's not what you do. Because as an actor, this is the thing with stand-up is that you have to go up there and you have to totally reveal yourself. You know, that's what makes people laugh. Is yeah. when you vocalise thoughts that they've had. Yeah. But you're, you've got the balls to go up there and actually vocalise them and reveal yourself and say, yeah. this is yeah. what I think. Genuinely, this is what I fucking think. Yeah. Whereas an actor will go up and will perform a script because, yes, the, because the, role, the, the role an actor cannot perform is themselves. That's why they're an actor. They're hiding behind other people yeah. because they don't want to yeah. reveal themselves. So straight away, it's just like, oh, that's jarring. It's disingenuous, you know. And it's, yeah, and it, and that is the thing about you know when you when you're performing art when it really works is when you're wearing your heart on your sleeve you know yeah I mean it, well it's like I said earlier it. it's like I said earlier you know like these donations that fans have made over the last load of years um, you know and I'm you know there's several thousands of pounds because they just want me to carry on going you know my music's doing something uh, for them that I never I've never thought about really yeah and. Uh, that's and, awesome, that and it's awesome. it it's it, yeah, it's odd. Um, We've been offered thousands of pounds <clears> to stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. But, um, I'll give you that. Fuck those guys. Yeah, 
Well, yeah, it's it's. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, you, you know, here is an album I can't even listen to anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like literally, you know, when they say that uh, an album it's yours until it's released, and then it's everybody else's. Mm. It's like it's everybody else's before it's even released because you don't want to. Do it, yeah, you know? I've disowned it. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, yeah, I've kind of put pain in there and and closed it, and that's the end of that, really. And um, yeah. And Dor Dormata, which is mm. spelt D A W. Yeah. Uh, what's the? Is that Welsh? No, no, no. So Dormata, Dor. Oh, that was the Welsh spelling of Dor. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, said um, the ignorant Englishman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, Dor stands for um, Digital Audio Workstation. Right. So um, in the production world, it's you know um, what door well, so are we, you we sat right at a digital audio workstation, workstation right now, that's exactly we? it yeah we sat at a door um, so basically uh, because I've of late become uh, a producer mixer recording engineer I own my own studio it's massively Northstone Studios Northstonestudios.com yeah there we go uh, <laughs> um, it's um, good rates available yeah, yeah, come now. Bring, you can bring your own engineer, you don't have to use Jess. <laughs> Not true. Subject to terms and conditions. <laughs> yeah, never bring an engineer. <laughs> Jace will only do it himself. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so basically, um, since I've become uh, really um, decent at being able to record and produce and mix. Yeah. Decent? Pfft. Come on, mate, let's yeah. not go too right. far. Okay at That's recording like. and... Uh, <laughs> acceptable yeah. at recording and uh He's, and yeah, well yeah, it's obvious from your own stuff that you know what you're fucking doing because it sounds fucking amazing so you know oh well check in the post oh no <laughs> <laughs> they don't do checks yeah, anymore no. i'll pay, paypal you paypal please yeah, I'll paypal yeah. your yeah. email yeah your checks in the post um so um so since i've become a producer mix and engineer um uh it's totally almost completely changed how I write music now so I write music knowing the prize yeah eyes on the prize you know eyes you, on the prize you, you know the destination exactly but you, yeah and you know and you also know the journey as to how to get to that destination exactly so Alain, whereas before Alain, no mystery exactly no mystery at all so whereas yeah. I would write on the guitar and I put it together in the studio it would almost be like where is this gonna go now I already know the finishing line yeah and so worried me that it was changing my method of writing so I almost felt as though I was killing by becoming a recording engineer it was martyrdom you know yeah um, and it was killing off in succession my writing ability because I was more into the production value well it's 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 also it's it's turning a um, it's turning something creative into a linear process mm. so you're basically removing um, you're kind of removing um, uh, inspiration and you're yep. kind of removing, um, what's the word, um, uh, ad hoc stuff, you know, and improvisation yeah. Yeah. and everything else. Well, it, it, was, it was just, if I, if I made a mistake, I wouldn't perfect it till it was brilliant. I would fix it in the mix. I know I can fix that in the mix. Right. Years ago, yes, yeah, God, well, yeah. God damn, I wouldn't be doing that. I would be perfecting it until my hands bled, or my Adam's apple wanted to jump out of my voice, yeah. you know, out of my throat. I know that feeling. <clears throat> well, yeah, it's happened today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, 
that is what that means. Um, it's a, a real take on technology and just how it's really changed the organicness of how people write music. And um, that's a great, it's a great title, by the way. And the story behind it is just, yeah, it's like yeah, it's yeah. Nice. I, and you know, and really I had cool. to get um, uh, I had to get Burton on it as well um, from Fear Factory. Oh God, yeah. So of course, so yeah. Burton did a Burton was actually going to Burton did a, a spoken word. Um, that me and him put together and he um, did this long spoken word I think it was several minutes and I was going to put that on a track called Exhale because I wasn't sure if I was actually going to have Richard Dawkins recording on my album which eventually he did right within a day the day of the end date of needing to get it to uh, to the mastering engineer wow um, uh, so what I then thought was I'd use because Richard Dawkins agreed and I went up to his house and recorded him there um, I just used a certain segment of what Burton did and I put that in Dormata. Um but to the great mistake of a lot of Fear Factory fans they think that Burton's actually singing on the on that song in the in the vocal ranges yes yeah because it says featuring featuring but he's actually not it's all me burton's just yeah. doing the spoken word and yeah. even burton's soon-to-be wife uh sherry also thought that it was burton she said oh i recognize my man's vocal prowess any day and, and i went well obviously not because it's not him it's me and she she Brilliant. was like you are shitting me and i was like no Brilliant. no but because i think he's been an influence or that band has been an influence on me for so long. I think I've kind of, I kind of sound like him. I've even had some fan doing a picture of me and Burton. Our faces have been put together. Right, okay. And yeah, that yeah. was very strange. And there was a, some kind of a conspiracy of some sort building up, whether we were related or, because we, you know, we look similar, we sound similar. Um, but it's none at all. But the I, the weird thing is that Burton's father looks a little like my father. So <laughs> easy, yeah. Easy. It's very weird, you know. Or at least the guy who tells you he's his fa your father. <laughs> <laughs> he was delivering milk for a while, actually. <clears throat> a little bit more than milk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no milk. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so you, you were a, a, well. There's another another kind of like you know inverted commas hero that you've worked with, which is which is Burton, because I know you're a massive Fear Factory fan. Yeah, I've been a Fear Factory fan since I was 14. Um, so um, you know, only six years ago. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, 36 years ago. Yeah, 36. <laughs> but uh, this is 50th on Friday. We're all my going 50th. That's what, 55. <laughs> 55. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, um, we, uh, yeah, it's just ironic really that, you know, I was a massive fan of Fear Factory, still am, and, uh, and now, um, I'm really good friends with Burton, you know, I speak to him daily, um, we're in a project together called Essential of the Watchers, which is, uh, a project that he started up, well, 10 years ago, I think, um, and we're just about to go into recording the album for that um, here at Northstone. And is that all? Is it all written? It is. Yeah, it's all written. Wow. There might be one or two songs that um, that I might put my little oar in because we, you know, when I was staying with him in LA, 
you know, we'd have these drunken nights on the guitar, and I'd start coming up with a riff, and uh, and Burn would be like, "Holy shit!" You know, let's record it, and so we got a video of us playing it together, and on both on uh, guitars, and it was magical, man. It was just, uh, but very much like the whole Dave Prowse situation. I just see the see him as Burton, see him as yeah. Dave. I don't see him as Darth, and I don't see Burton as from Fear Factor anymore. It's it's yeah. just my mate Burton in LA. You know, it's it's so very... um. So where does he stay when he comes over? Uh, <laughs> like well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a it's a big surprise. Uh, well, I've bought my I've bought my old family home. Yeah. Um, and um, and so the spare room used to be my my bedroom when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, up until the age of about I don't know twenty one, twenty two, and then I moved out, and so. Um, he stays in that room. Now that room, uh, I was playing Fear Factory day and night, album after for day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It was nothing but Fear Factory, um, and uh, and so that's where Burton stays. But to my horror, the first time he came over, um, I cleaned the room up, you know, sorted all the room and, and whatever, and uh, and then we kind of went into. Um, closing the door behind us I needed to vacuum the door uh, vacuum the carpet and whatever and to my horror when I closed the door I, I had written when I was 15 or 14 in Tipex Fear Factory Rules and it was emblazoned on the door <laughs> like a true graffiti rebel that I yeah, was yeah Tipex as well Tipex old school <laughs> with, with you know and it was not odourless so you know <laughs> fully solvent so so I actually I actually painted this on the back of the door, and uh, and I I ended up having to scrape it off. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that is pretty much you've got. Because I was that, just thinking, you? shit, he's gonna see that. Oh he's my gonna, god, he's gonna shut the door at night and see that and go, hang on, what's going on here? And then he's gonna hear the door click locked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Stay, you're staying with me now, Burton. But I'm the, your biggest fan. The weird, <laughs> the weird thing about it all was that um, I wasn't going to tell him. And then one night we got really drunk, <laughs> and then I told him. Um, I just had a moment of, uh, of just oh, the, you know, the, the floodgates have opened because I said to him, yeah, you, you know, I can't remember the, I, I vaguely remember the conversation being, um. You know, going on. I think it was. He said that he never has the title track of each song in the actual song, so he doesn't sing the words that the title is. Yeah, yeah. And I went, "That's rubbish." What about "Shock," "My Grave," um, you know, "Lynchpin," and I and I went on and on and on. And he and uh, this is it. And he said, oh "My God, you know, how many other songs do you know?" You know, and. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I've got every album. And then I went to my CD rack and I grabbed, you know, 27 years worth of Fear Factory and I just laid it out in front of him. And he said, uh, oh, my God, you know, I've been ripped off. He said, oh, my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> well, yeah, oh, my God, who the hell are you? Yeah, shit, um, call me an Uber. It's a bit like the Scooby-Doo thing. Oh, my God, it's Old Man Joe. Oh, my God, it's Old Man Joe. Yeah, I would have got away with it if you were one of your pesky kids. Yeah. Um, so... But uh, I showed him all these albums, and there was like all these albums laid out in front, and uh, and Burton was just like, "Oh my god, this is insane!" Um, 
and then that's when I went in and told him the whole thing about Fear Factory and wow. the, the writing behind the door. Yeah. And I said, I'm, I'm gutted. I've told you now. I can't believe it. And, there was uh, no point in sanding it off. <laughs> no. And he, and he said, I'm, and I said, I, I, maybe I should have left it on. And then he said, no, I'm glad he did take it off. <laughs> so. It was very sort of deadpan. <laughs> yeah, it was very dead. <laughs> yeah, just uh, so yeah, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's mm. brilliant. So so um, obviously, uh, uh, any band recording in the studio can uh, can stay in um, in the uh, the Fear Factory uh, cell <laughs> that you have in your house. Well, we have people staying in the hotel, you know, um, <laughs> thankfully. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Burton. I mean, he's coming back over in January, mid January, so we'll start production on the uh, Essential of the Watchers album. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a huge success, the pledge campaign. And um I did oh right, now that's interesting. I didn't know you had a pledge campaign for that. So what, yeah. what was the what was the figure you were looking to get and did you achieve it? Uh I think we were aiming at something like between fifteen and twenty thousand. Yeah. And we've got it, yeah. It's, it's, wow. It's happened. Yeah. That's brilliant. So it is great, yeah. And you know, every, you know, it's surprised me. Um Right at the last 80%, it just really took off. You know, Burton was messaging me every day saying, you know, Squire, we're up to 82. Now we're up to 84, 88, 89, 100. It was just crazy. Brilliant. Very quick. Brilliant. Yeah. And so um, are you, you're not involved? Because, like, pledge campaigns, just I just know, thanks. Because the, mm. the, the admin behind it is you may as well set up a fucking record label. Yeah. Because you know, all of the shit that you've got to try and put up there for the various yeah, yeah. tiers of, uh, of contribution it's just like oh man you know that's just oh absolutely and then and then you've got to get all the physical product delivered and you've got to sign all those CDs or you're going to get and then it's all got to go out and it's just it, it's just it, I, I think it's funny because when it was coming up to recording the album and stuff and I've said like you know we're we, you know there's no we've got on an offer from a label but we're going to shop the album and a few people have gone like oh what about pleasure and it's like no no, not at yeah. all. I think I think there's definitely a perception out there that pledge is that you just go, hey everyone, can you give us some money to do this? And they go, yeah, sure. And they just all chuck oh, in some yeah. money. It's like no, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah. There's a lot behind it. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't think we quite realised how much was behind it. Um, but um, if it goes well, and if you pre-planning is the key there, and yes. we had we had so many ideas that. I, I couldn't see it failing, you know. Um, I mean, naturally, what Burn has been subjected to is constant questioning of where's Fear Factory. Yes. Um, so I felt for him on that part. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's another band and another story. So, um, well, that funnily enough <clears throat> sounds like the, um, sounds like your, um, your Vinnie Paul uh, experience when oh, you're on the road with, God, um, yeah, with, with Hell Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really felt for Vinny. Um, you know, bless his uh, bless his soul. But uh, yeah, Vinny Paul. I mean, you know, he was there to speak about nothing but hell. Yeah, and was subjected to constant, constant scrutineering of Pantera and reforming Pantera. And I, uh, you know, I'll never forget the day that uh, he came on the bus, really angry and and ups- and understandably upset, and just said, you know, don't people. I think it was don't doesn't anyone remember that I you know my brother got shot in front of me you know I saw my brother getting brutally murdered in front of me and an audience you know live on stage you know 
it's the last thing I want to do is is go back to Pantera or go back yeah, to a version a version of yeah, yeah my brother's not around anymore why would I do that and um, and you know I it was I felt not um, privilege is not the word I felt kind of um, not lucky in the sense that I was witnessing that but I was uh, one of the very few to be there and see a human being a human being uh, be upset that his brother had been slaughtered in that way in and front that, of everyone and that all <clears throat> any all any selfish fans care about is well Pantera. just get Zach Wilde and play some shows yeah just what's, get Zach Wilde just get yeah just get Phil and Rex and just you know as you were and it's yeah. like no guys yeah. no I don't think and they don't see that side of it you know and I really felt for him I really really did um, because that's all he was getting on that tour was Pantera Pantera they were doing um, VIP meet and greets I mean, was there a? I mean, I could probably count how many Hell Yeah albums there were on one finger. It was one, and then the rest <laughs> of it was Pantera stuff. Yeah. You know, now he was pretty cool about that. You know, he was in all fairness, he was signing stuff, and it was great. You know, he was really cool. But, uh, but the the press stuff was was not good. You know? Yeah. I felt for him, I really did. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's it, and that all off the back of something that somebody else has said uh, quite innocently, you know, yeah. Zach said, "Yeah, I'd do that if it if if, if that was a thing." Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just became a, it's all it's it's, it's happening yes. whole it's thing, yeah, and it's, it's out there, and now that's a question. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah, it was awful, you know, um, really awful, and uh, it's just you know, so it's a sad, it's a real shame that Vinny's gone, you know, Vinny's died, and. Uh, and yeah there's definitely not going to be a Pantera reunion now definitely not and yeah. I don't think there ever should have been anyway I mean no it was, it was, it was, only, it was only ever a fucking press thing wasn't it yeah. I mean the press kept it going that's it but um, well look what's I know like <laughs> Million Part part 2 is, is not out until next month yep um, uh, October 21st October the 12th. October the 12th. How can you see? I got, the, actually, numbers, I got it, the numbers the wrong way around. It, I'm numerically dyslexic. It actually got moved back because I was struggling. You know, right. I, I was actually, um, I was, yeah, I just couldn't get it finished. And completely understandably. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm now going to ask you the most annoying question that anyone can be asked in this situation. And that is, so, Million Part 2 comes out on October the 12th. After that... <laughs> What's next? <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. obviously you got that's Ascension. really annoying. <laughs> You've got Ascension of the Watchers in uh, in January. Mm. Um, I mean, so you've got your Jace Lewis career, and then there's the Ascension of the Watchers album, and then that's going to need some some promo, and there's yeah. presumably going to be dates after that and everything else. So do you put your Jace Lewis career on hold, and you know, and then just kind of no, I'll be you know, I'll be touring. Uh, the whole Jace Lewis thing will. Will still be happening. The album's done, so we'll be doing tours, and you know that will still be going on. Essential the watchers, um, you know, we'll be writing, and then we'll be looking to tour that um, summer time, I guess. You know? Right. Okay. Um, well, if we get around about by then, you know, you're always welcome to support. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be such an honour. Third on the bill, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just well, you know, we'll just be a roadies. Actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. Just just um, just work the merch store. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be cool. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but um, so it's just a case of juggling all of that then. Yeah. yeah, just spinning of plates, you know, what 
we all have to do anyway. It's, and uh, working on projects in in here. Yeah, the as well. studio's taking off. I mean, that's doing really well. And um, you know, I'm to, um, you know, a lot better than I thought it was going to do at, in its first two years. Well, I know the first time. Well, we were only here in. Uh, well, we were in 2017. We were here in February 2017. Yeah. So you and and, and yeah. you were. Yeah, it was kind of like. I remember a couple of conversations with you actually because I mean you know we we were doing vocals just the two of us and I remember you saying like I just I just want to get some people in yeah you know I'm just yeah, yeah. to get some people in the fucking studio yeah and that's right well I mean you know the budget for it overran naturally with the building rebuild because it was a ruin before that he had hang on you had a budget and builders went over it surely not well I was one of the builders that's the <laughs> that's the messed up thing about that um, <laughs> oh, right yeah I mean it went over by oh god uh, thousands um but yeah so getting bands in was was a, a big thing or getting music recorded and um, just getting the word out there yeah which has happened now you know and <clears throat> i mean in lots of great musicians and you know it's great yeah you know i've uh, i really love connecting with other musicians and uh, i feel like i'm collaborating on every album that there is being put out from here now well you've, well, you've certainly um collaborated on on this um mm. and that's why you know you'll be uh, credited as jace messi lewis um <laughs> producer um because um it, 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 the whole mess thing is a is a running joke i, I apologize yeah it's very uh, it's very introverted of us yes um it's very elitist but um yes, yes. fuck it um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, your input on 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 our album has been um, up until this point, you know, has been mm. um, just really, really, really cool, really enlightening, and um, and it's also good to have somebody who's obviously, you know, you you've you've had your roots in metal, you've come up through metal, yeah, and you're now in a very, you know, but you you've also taken on board loads of skills from different. Um, genres like dance music and stuff like that and, yeah. and and you know for me as a as a as a vocalist working with you who's also a vocalist but very different and working in very different environments and the way you're able to coach me through but also throwing ideas and not just ideas for phrasing and notes and stuff like that but also with the production mm. of of it uh, of the voice as well is yeah. is, is yeah. you know well there's that there's that end game solution you know there's the end game result that I know I'm wanting to get yeah, you know, Dormata. It's, uh, Dormata. We're back to yeah. Dormata. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of know where I want to go, and I know how things react. I know what microphones react a certain way. I know what's going to push the microphone, and um, and the preamps and the tape. You know, the Neve tape emulation units I've got. I mean, it all. I know everything about the gear I got here, and how to make something work um, efficiently and to its best. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's been. I mean, working on Acid Rain with you guys has been uh, a big thing, you know. For for me, it's been a real privileged insight into how how you guys work, you know. I mean, you guys have got a heritage from the mid to late eighties. Uh, that's not to be ignored and um, forgotten about. And it's also something for me to be privileged and honoured to be a part of moving forward, you know, on the album. Um, oh, that's, that is well, that is you know. Um, I've said if I've said it once, I've said it twice. Um, that um, Say it you know, thrice, <laughs> thrice, yeah. yeah. That um, you know, I definitely from an album point of view, you know, it's it's you feel like the the sixth member of mm. the band, yeah. um, without a doubt. 
you know. Yeah, it feels um, that way to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can be, we can brutally take the piss out of each other and all the rest yes, of it. Yes, we can. And, and, all, and that's when you know, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. that, it, that everything's good. Yeah, you absolutely. Um, well, look, that seems, like a, that seems like a really cool place to leave it, Jace. Um, thank you very much. Thank you for being as open, as honest as I, uh, as I know you to be. And, thank you uh, very much, Howard. I really thank appreciate you. it. Cool, man. Cheers. Thank you, man. I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to shake your Handshake hand. right now. Handshake, Handshake right now. Handshake yeah. right now. Wish you could now. be here and feel yeah. the love. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man. And there you go. I um, I hope you enjoyed that um, as much as I did. Uh, Jace is just a uh, a top man. Um, and as you can tell, we're, uh, we're, we're quite friendly. Sorry, I'm just going to turn this up a bit again. So uh, watch the volume. There we go. That's better. Um... Although that's still not... That doesn't seem to be very loud at all, does it? That's weird. Um, Hang on a sec. Right, how's that? Uh, mm, Right, okay. Still not right. Hang on. Okay, there we go. And that is me back in the room. So, um, yeah, really enjoyed that. Um, Constantly thinking about you guys, obviously. Thought, oh, you know, record a podcast with Jace. And um, really pleased with how that came out. Um, And definitely check some of his music out. I'm a big fan. Big, big, big fan. So, what else has been going on in the world of metal? Well, um, almost exactly the same time as Megadeth announced their Mega Cruise we get Metallica announcing that they are going to be playing um, Twickenham and Etihad Stadium. Um, And the usual um, arguments abound about um, ticket pricing and all the rest of it. And it's kind of like, well, I really am at the point now with, if you don't want to spend 100 quid seeing Metallica, fine, then don't. If you feel like you've been priced out or you are being priced out, fine. It's, it's, nobody has a right Music is a, and I, I, funnily enough, I um, I went and visited Andy Pilkington in his new house um, uh, whilst I was away on a day off. So um, ended up recording a podcast at the beer garden. Um, so that will be coming. Uh, that will be coming up next month. That one's already in the can. Um, uh, and and we were both saying, we were saying like, music is a luxury. Nobody nobody has a right to it. You know, I mean, on the list of things that are important to spend money on every month. You know, music is is not on the shopping list. It's on the wants list. It's on the would likes list. So ultimately, if you want to go see him, fine. I mean, a, a friend of mine said, do you want to go and see him? And I was like, mm, nah, you know what? I'm all right. And he was like, is it the money? And I was like, do you know what? It, it kind of, because it's a lot of money. But if I really wanted to go, I'd find the money. But it was more than just the fact that I don't really want to hear songs from Hardwired Live ever again, in fact. Never mind just fucking live, ever. Um, and I, I just don't get the righteous indignation of people who, I mean, you know, it's, it's like they're sort of consumer watchdogs ranting on about the, the, you know, that this is dreadful and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, just don't go, you know, just don't go. I mean, it would appear that if they, if the, if, if, if they could have afforded it, um, uh, you know, they probably wouldn't have gone anyway. I mean, what what price is right? What price is right? Look, ultimately, it will sell out, which means that they've got their price point right. Simple as that. You know, I, I really, I, you know, if you feel like you've been priced out of going to see Metallica, wow, there are fucking first world problems. Yeah, there are, there is bigger fish to fry in the world and there should be with your bloody lives than 
oh, Metallica are charging £100 for a ticket. I mean, there really are bigger issues. Having said that, and I've said it before, another reason for not going is I believe Lars is now asleep on the job behind the kit. And he spent, if, he, if he'd only put the effort and the dedication into practicing drums that he puts into uh, putting each set list together every night and overseeing every new remaster and all the rest of it, if he put that kind of energy um, and uh, focus into what he does behind the kit, he'd be fucking Dave Lombardo, for fuck's sake. Well, he wouldn't, would he? No, not really. Um, So obviously the other big thing that's happened, it's only just happened, and that is Dave McLean and Phil Demmel to leave Machine Head. Yes. Um, And according uh, according to Rob Flynn... Pretty much his fault. Um, very, very honest. I mean, you can say what you like about Rob Flynn, but he is he is occasionally brutally honest and um, and and you know to his probably to his detriment. But he's basically said, look, you know, I think he's been holding on to the band too. T- I think basically the other members have got sick of either not having a say, be it be it, be it musically or in the band business wise or whatever. Um, but they're stepping away and leaving, and and um, you know. The bass player is going to stay. He says um, that he's going to carry on. It's not the end of the machine. They're going to do it. They're doing one final tour in the States and they're going to do it, you know, with happy memory. They want happy memories of this lineup and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, fair play. I, I, again, I, I think I've, I've always said, you hear me say it in interviews, you can't knock honesty. And ultimately, your opinion of Rob Flynn is what it is. But you can't knock honesty. And he is really, really honest and, you know, pretty much... Um, the statement is pretty much him blaming himself um, for them leaving. Now, the irony is that um, in the next interview, myself and no friender of the Thrash Metal podcast talk about what a great feel-good story it is that Phil Demmel ended up in Machine Head after being in violence. And, of course, that's all gone to shit. Um, so, yes, I had a lovely, lovely chat with, uh, with no friender, which you're going to hear now. Uh, we did an hour together. We did another, an extra hour that's going to be on the, um, that's on the Patreon version of the podcast. So feel free to sign up anytime you like. Patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith. Just $5 a month. It's less than, it's less than probably a decent cup of coffee. It's certainly less than two cup of coffees. It's less than a pint of beer pretty much worldwide. Um, anyway, that's enough of that. It's always exclusive. Happens every month. Uh, join the party if you want. Anyway, you are going to get um, an hour from myself and no friend an hour when we were chatting just a few weeks ago. It was one Saturday morning. We had a right old natter um, and it is all about thrash metal. So this one is no doubt for the old school. This is my frat with uh, my frat. <laughs> my, that's that's my chat with no friender and it's come out to be my frat. OK, fine. Here's my frat with no friender. Howard, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Just waking up, shaking off the cobwebs. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, it's kind of early where you are. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually up at this time, but I'm not. I'm not usually actually needing to be semi-coherent at this time. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know the feeling. Um, I had um, a bit of a late one last night. I, had, I was doing a, a spoken word show in London. Um, and then, uh, and then we had a bit of an after show at, um, at another, another metal bar and, um, yeah, so it, it all got a bit messy. I don't even have that excuse. I was early to bed and it's just, you know, I'm lazy. So. 
So um, what do you do? Um, what do you do for a day job? I'm a I'm an attorney um, at a, uh, a in a at a at a company. So I, I negotiate contracts, things like that. Right. Okay. So pretty heavy shit. You need to be on the ball. Yeah, you know, I I, I wing it enough to uh, keep keep stay employed. Yeah, that well, that's that's the goal, isn't it? Uh, it helps if you right. have uh, if you have something that pays the bills. That is the key. Keep keep the bills coming. Uh, paid and the bill collector is uh, away from the house. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, look, thanks for coming on and doing this. Um, it's. It's kind of weird when when you listen to when you listen to a podcast and you kind of get used to somebody's voice. Talking to you now seems like the most natural thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's same same with you because you know I just found out you know what was it you know it just seems like just a few weeks back when I think you had part one of the Slayer you know extravaganza, and I think it was DX Ferris had uh, you know tweeted it, and I'm like. What? Why? Why am I not? Why have I never heard of this before? This is like right up my alley. And then I go through your back catalog, and then I'm listening to, you know, I love the ones with you know Blitz from Overkill, and you know Scott, some of the other, um, you, know, uh, you know, Slayer ones you did and stuff. Just catching up on sort of the ones that first cast my attention. Yeah, now we're talking, and it's like, I, I, like we know each other. Yeah, I know it's kind of odd, isn't it? Well, you've got you've got loads of thrash metal to go through because there's there's. There's Flotsam and Jetsam are in there. Um, uh, Death. I mean, if the further you go back, there's Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah. There's Death Angel. There's Scott Ian. There's, yeah. It goes. Yeah, it goes quite a way back. Yeah. So I, I try and keep. I, I, you know, I'm I'm trying to get um, uh, at least sort of somebody from the world of thrash um, uh, every month. But sometimes, you know, I'm I'm fine with kind of you know going off piste as it were, and you know just doing different things and getting you know different people who have varying connections to the music business on because i want to you know i want to try and keep it interesting no definitely because that's the thing that like you know for one from, from a fan standpoint i mean knowing that there's so many elements in the industry that you don't even really appreciate or know about so i'm into that you know those different perspectives on things especially just going back when you had like the like malcolm dome and xavier russell i mean those are guys who were in the trenches when this was just starting so that's awesome yeah, I mean, I've known Malcolm for years, and he's probably, apart, uh, with the exception of Godless, formerly of the, um, you know, the, uh, the uh, oh God, what, I, I can't remember what their podcast was called now. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I've had Malcolm on, he's usually on at least once a year. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's generally, it's, you know, it's generally accepted that he was the first person to use the term thrash metal, which is like, yeah. what, what a... What you know? What what a um, what a thing to have you know attached to your name. And he and he nailed it because it's the perfect. I, I mean, it's the perfect word. You know, at the beginning, you know, you hear a lot of the you know, guys and Slayer and the other bands. I mean, they didn't name what they were doing. Like you know, maybe they would actually use like the word speed metal or this or that. But to me, rash metal nails it. You know, it's like cause, like, I always think in my mind, speed metal. That's a little different. That's a little more like exciter or, or something. You know, yeah. but rash is that. A little different element, and it's the perfect to me descriptive for it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, I, I think you know, yeah, it's 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 you know, thrashing thrashing all around as 
Hetfield says in uh, you know yeah. in Whiplash, and it's kind of I guess yeah. it kind of comes from there, if anything. But um, yeah, there is there is, and speed metal is something that I always I I always think it, it's it's a really kind of reductive name. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, you know you 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 play at really fast speed, and it's metal. There you go, speed metal. And it's like, yeah, oh, exactly. yeah. I think there's a little bit more to it than that, you know. It's, yeah, uh, no, a little bit more of a bite, a little bit more, uh, you know, a little more of that hardcore element, you know, where there's a little, little angrier, a little, uh, you know, the, the vocals, you know, you know, speed metal, like, if, if, there's, if it, you know, if it exists, it's going to have more clean vocals and, and it could work, you know, for the most part, the rationale has got to have a little bit of uh, bite into the vocals, you know. Yeah, I, I kind of think that speed metal is one step towards power metal. Yeah. You know? Um, and yeah. Um, uh, yeah, power metal is not really something I've got that I've got that much investment in. I mean, I, I you know I think I like as I, like everyone at the time. I liked the first. I, I mean, I, I got Walls of Jericho. I I liked that, and then Keeper of the Seven Keys. It went less thrash, but it was it was still you know you couldn't deny the quality. And I went to see Halloween and Overkill on that tour. Um, and that, but by the time part two came out, I was, I was, it was just kind of a little bit, mm, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. Um, yeah, you know, it's like for at, at the time, there was a lot of bands could go one of two directions, and, and the first album for a lot of bands, whether they end up being thrash or they end up going power metal or whatever the direction, the first album for a lot of these bands was similar, and then it's just a matter of okay, which which direction are they going with that second album? And you know, the thrash bands went thrashier, you know. For the most part, and then the other bands, you know, went more, you know, in the in the power metal direction, more sort of uh, operatic or something. And um, so that was sort of like a lot of those albums in the, in the 83, 84 time period. Those debut albums, it, it was next album that sort of firmly embedded where the band was going. And it's kind of it's weird as well because I think you know power metal is such a um, is such a kind of. Um, uh, accepted term these days, and it's kind of it's kind of weird to think back that you know everybody pretty much credits Halloween with the invention of you know power metal them being the the forebearers of it, and it's kind of it's weird because I, I it just sort of snuck up on me one day because you know I just thought with Halloween it was just all oh, right they've gone a little bit a little bit lighter a little bit more melodic melodic yeah. and then you know a few years down the line suddenly you see there's this entire genre and you think wow you know where where did that come from it just like seemed to spring up overnight. Yeah, and um, and still going strong today. I mean, it's you know, it's uh, yeah. I, I kind of I don't know. I always see it as a more European thing. Am I? I don't know. What do you think? I agree. I agree with that absolutely. I think it's um, you know, and and like you, it never really. I mean, I'm aware of it. I have no problem with it, but it's just not. It was never the direction that is sort of my 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 uh, default. You know, my my as time went on, my preference was was thrash and that sort of anything else you know i might have a phase where i'm like yeah i'm, I'm into this a little bit you know but it keeps coming back with thrash as sort of the main you know, music that you know keeps me going I, I play the drums and so from a drumming standpoint that's what i you know thrash drumming i mean basically every morning i'll go in my you know i've uh, i'm in the room right now like my, uh, my drum room i built in my house and it's like I pretend I'm Dave Lombardo for 40 minutes, you know, so. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, that, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, 
Is that is that Dave Lombardo in Slayer, or is that Dave Lombardo in Film, or is that Dave Lombardo in Grip Gripping, or is that Dave Lombardo in Suicidal Tendencies, or is that Dave Lombardo yeah. in Phantomas? It, it, it's Dave Lombardo um, about um, on the uh, figure on the uh, Decade of Aggression era, Dave Lombardo. Yay! Um, I'm pretty much there playing that set set list. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man! I got. I'm, it's uh, well. We're going to start wormholing on Slayer here, and that's going to end up being another Slayer special. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't. I haven't even got to your um your your specials with um on on Jeff Hanneman. I mean, you you've go you go really really deep into um uh into your topics when you do them. I mean, the the four part series on um. Uh, peace sells but who's buying which I arrived I arrived at in the middle of it um, which is great because you you discovered you discovered my podcast and then that meant that I was I was able to discover yours um, which is awesome because I think you know it, it, your podcast is right up my street my podcast is right up your street this is just like it's perfect isn't it yeah I mean you're it's like we hit it from two different angles you're, you're an actual person on the recording and I'm just talking with my myself in, in an empty room and hope and and uh you know so it's it's it's, it's good to sort of tackle it from two different approaches but we're covering a lot of the same topics yeah and i think um i i, I like i like the way you i mean you know without wanting to become a mutual appreciation society which for everyone listening is like oh guys get a room do we have to yeah, listen to this yeah, yeah. Well, um, i mean that is the plan by the way after this we are getting a room yeah yeah exactly exactly um but uh now i mean you, you know you go you really break it down it's and i mean you know, i'm encouraging people who are listening to this to, to to listen to it because there's you know you really break down um into the granular information and that all ties in with the fact that you're an attorney now so that all makes sense in my head so <laughs> that, that, that that's great i i understand the approach now um it's funny because it started out that you know so that the the site that you know hosted you know went up was cool.com the 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 owner of that site is a guy named carl stern and i've he has, has been podcasting forever you know not not through this website this is sort of a new venture his last couple of years but he's actually really um embedded in um has been podcasting and, and writing about like the history of pro wrestling for like forever and so I, you know, being a fan of that growing up, um, and, and just like with the history of thrash, I'm into it. I'm into the history of things. And so I would listen to his, uh, you know, podcasts that were, you know, hosted elsewhere. And then when he started to, you know, do this venture that was, you know, more broadly pop culture based, um, you know, I, it was, you know, he was looking for people to do something. And so I had an idea, and but it was totally unrelated to what, you know, to, to music at, at all. And then, but it was just involving too much, you know, work and so forth. And all of a sudden, I just picked up my phone, pressed record, and started doing that very first episode, which ended up being like 18 minutes. I've, ne- I've never done, you know, anything like this before. Um, and it was like the longest 18 minutes of my life. Like, I just talked about, off, off the top of my head, about sort of the origins of, you know, the origins of thrash, you know, how it sort of came to be. And when I was done, I was like, wow, that felt like, you know, forever. I'm like, how do these people, like, record hour, two-hour podcast? It was, like, you know, incredible. And then I ended up giving it to him, and he, and he liked it, and he hosted it. So then, like, you know, the first eight episodes basically are, you know, shorter 
and you know they cover who I call sort of the original six of Thrash, being Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, Exodus, Overkill, and Megadeth. Um, and then kind of wrap it up with uh, the eighth episode is sort of like just a, a recap of everything. And then, and you know, from there it started to grow where we got to longer, longer series. Actually, the first. Um, multi-part series was actually of all bands was uh, I did a three-parter on violence and yo now you're talking man yes. I haven't I haven't yeah. even got that far back but fucking hell funnily enough I've posted some I posted some um, uh, short videos of uh, guitars being laid down for the new Acid Rain album and our guitarist is wearing a violence t-shirt while he's laying it down to me violence I, there is no, I mean, you know, I talk, you know, in, I think it's rather universal that, you know, kind of Slayer is the standard bearer for thrash, pure thrash. And, you know, with Rain and Blood, this being like, if, if you just cut out all, like, all the, the nonsense, that is thrash. If, you know, the aliens came down and wanted to know what thrash is, that's what you show them. At the same time, as a, as a band, it, it's hard to point to a band that is, in my opinion, any more emblematic of thrash than violence. I mean, it's it's just they're just you know the music is 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 abrasive as it gets. Yeah, you, you have Sean Killian as a singer who wasn't even a singer. He was just hanging out with the band. They needed a singer, and he's got a voice that is just unlike anyone else. I mean, it's it's a definitely a love hate voice, and then just the the lyrics, the gang vocals, just the abrasiveness. Yeah, I mean, violence is it's perfect name for a band, and and again, they're not obviously we're not the success that you know other thrash bands were, but it's hard to beat just the, as far as the embodiment of everything that thrash was. Violence. Um, I completely agree. I mean, I'm a I'm a, a huge violence fan. Um, I um, I traded um, um, an acid rain shirt um, with. Uh, Steve Zetro, when we were on tour with Exodus all those years ago, uh, I traded an acid rain shirt for a Violence Eternal Nightmare tour t shirt. Um, (laughs) you still have it? Um, unfortunately, no. Um, it fell apart in the end, but um, I, uh, I, I am wearing it on in our in the video that we did for probably one of our biggest singles back in the day called Humanoia. And I'm wearing I'm wearing it in in that video, um, and I, so so sometimes I watch the video and mourn the passing of the t-shirt. Yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> I mean that is that is I mean an actual vintage violence t-shirt from that era. That is something that it's uh, it's that's about as good as it gets. So that's almost the holy grail of thrash memorabilia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, I'm. I'm gutted I still don't have it. I had a Dark Angel Leave Scars shirt as well, which Gene gave me, and I fucking don't know what happened wow. to that. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I know. Well, so there's that point where, you know, to me, I, I think I had some cool stuff too, and then there's a certain point, you know, where and now I'm full of regret, where I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't need this. And I'm like, I'd care for that, that shirt or whatever I had. I'm like, I would just put it up on my wall or something. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I, I would if I still had the fucking thing. Um, yeah. I, I'm just, I, yeah, it's just, it's a real shame, real shame. One of the, one of the great oddities of member, hey, 
Hi, man. Sorry about that. I got a fucking phone call which which knocked Skype off. Um, ah. So I missed that. So what I did hear was that uh, something about um, you went to see Nuclear Assault. So it was it was actually a story about my my drum teacher at Bowley back. You know, this is going back you know twenty five years. That he in the late eighties had gone to a music conference, an industry conference, you know, of some kind, you know, relating to metal in the city, uh, in, in New York City, and Nuclear Assault was there, and they were they were distributing Nuclear Assault raincoats. I mean, if, if we're talking about, I mean, one of the odder pieces of memorabilia. Unfortunately, he doesn't have it, but that, to me, that is another item that if someone has that, that's about as, about as good as it gets. I, that is completely insane. Yeah, that <laughs> it's probably tied into like you know the Handle Care album or something. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a rational reason why they made a, a raincoat. Well, then again, there was the. I don't know if you had it in the states. Did you have the uh, the Violence ten inch single that came in the bag of puke? <laughs> I don't remember that, but I do. I remember you you were mentioning that. I think on. Uh, you, on one of the podcasts that I listened to recently, but anyway, yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, a, yeah, the, the the barf bag, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was, and it was fucking, and it dried out after years. It it just, it really didn't work. It was a bit like when Slayer did, um, released a single in a blood pack. I think it, they released Season, yeah. Seasons in the Abyss, I think, came in the blood pack. Yes. And, yeah. um, Scott with the floating skulls in there and stuff. Yes, that, yeah, that's right. And it looked, and, and yeah, years later, it's just dried up and looks shit. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, that, I mean, yeah, you just, it, they, it awesome little bits and pieces, the things that like, you know, people tried to do. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm just trying to think actually, that's, that set my mind off on like, you know, um, all these like odd bits and pieces that people put out, but it was mainly just kind of picture discs and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing, uh, there, there's probably other things out there, but there are just so few in number and. Unfortunately, people, you know, the, we need we, we needed someone who was sort of a, you know, thinking ahead to this era. You know, there'd be a, a great thrash exhibit at a uh, museum where we could have all these oddities, but uh, probably the chances of that happening are low. Well, ja- Jamie Jaster is uh, is always going on um, going on about creating a hard hall of fame. Um, uh, but I think that would just be mainly like you know hardcore stuff like that. It would be great to have some sort of like you know. Um, thrash metal royalty, where you know you get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, you start with Metallica. You obviously, I think, you're, like you said, you know, instead of the big four, you get the original six in there, um, and then your next tier, which has got to be like you know your Testaments and your Creators yeah. and people like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that 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 would be that would be really cool. Apart from it's like everything else, isn't it? You know, you've got to get somebody to sponsor it, and it's got to be you know. And then yeah, it's 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 not happening unless unless no, no yeah, unless unless you and I get our, our our minds together and you know make this happen, it's not going to happen. So it's not going to happen is the bottom line. Yeah, that's yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, but, and it's funny you know. So one of the things I I, I found is that. Hardcore, there's a, you know, a ton of documentaries on hardcore. There are, you know, a lot of books on it. You know, the, the Rolling Stones of the world, like the, the, the magazine, like the press, they love to like, wax poetic on hardcore. 
you know, it's like the, you know, this important, you know, not just music, but it's this important movement. And, and, yeah. and thrash, for the most part, gets just sort of tossed to the side as this, you know, I mean, of course, they're going to cover the big bands and thrash as it's relevant. But I mean, as, as a sort of music form, it's, it's never gotten the respect that hardcore it, you know, got. And, and when you think about actual enduring bands and, 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 you know, not that sales is, you know, record sales and concerts, you know, sort of, you know, fan numbers and stuff is the be all end all. But what in comparison, I mean, thrash is just far more, you know, impactful and popular from that standpoint, but it's never gotten the respect that, you know, hardcore does. And I think part of it too is that, you know, hardcore, a little more political and also sort of the right kind of political for like Rolling Stone and, and, and other things. So that's why I think it, it gets just this massive, uh, you know, sort of, or it gets, it gets covered as being enormously important. I think disproportionate to its actual, you know, impact. And it's not taken away from music. I mean, it's, you know, anyone who's into hardcore, I have no problem with that. It just happens to be I'm into thrash. And, and, I, and I recognize the impact that, you know, hardcore had on thrash. But it just seems that it's a more, uh, certainly from a, from a press standpoint, you know, a mainstream music press standpoint, a, a much more revered form of music I, yeah do you know what I, I, was, I was listening to, to you there and I was thinking do you know what the word that springs to mind it's, it's, it seems to be um, uh, perceived as more worthy absolutely you know like, like because of the political aspect which not everybody has but I think yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I completely agree and there's definitely a gap in the market there somewhere for a real um, you know, a a, a a a thrash book. But funnily enough, I one book I think that you would absolutely love um, is the uh, the history of UK thrash metal that just came out recently. I got to get my hands on that because that's that's an area that you know I don't have as much knowledge of, and, and you know I, it, it's um you know I did an episode um. I don't know, I, a few months, I think it's in in the 40s, you know, as far as episode 40-something or whatever, and I called it sort of, the, the first, I said thrash spreads to Europe, and then there was a specific episode on UK, and, and what, I, what I was noting is that, you know, up until thrash, you know, we start with Black Sabbath, obviously, then like, you know, the next big band being Priest, and yeah. you know, you know, I, I know where you're going, I know where you're going with this, you're absolutely right, yeah. All the innovation in Met from the creation of it, and this extends to rock in general, the, the creation of, of uh, you know, and, and evolution of metal was, if not exclusively, you know, a UK thing. I mean, it was certainly a European thing, but really a UK thing. And then, you know, through, uh, you know, and, and then new wave of British heavy metal, sort of that final stop. And then it's thrash that gets sort of created from that, in American, I, I think of thrash as like the first sort of American metal, yeah. um, you know, innovation. Yeah, the tide. It, it, it was the it was the um, it was the tide turning because I think there was thrash and almost almost vying for the same position is kind of hair metal and you know is the yeah. way the, the, because you know your motley crews and your poisons and all all started coming through and all of a sudden you're absolutely right the tables were turned and uk bands were looking to the states for inspiration 
and instead of you know it's like it's kind of weird isn't it you know metal comes up in the uk then that influences american bands and creates thrash and and hair metal and then thrash and hair metal start influencing bands in the uk and it's just it's it's kind of like you know it's it's change cycle if you like yeah no and then then just goes back and forth and then you bring in germany you know thrash which I think, you know, we got Creator, and I mean, those bands, I, I, you know, are, I think, very influential in the thrash wing. I mean, obviously Slayer is, but very influential as far as getting death metal going. Because I think, I, and I, yeah. I've always wondered, you know, when you look at the, like, Sodom, Destruction, Creator, the vocals are even more abrasive than anything in the States, really. And I, in part, I've always wondered, is it, they're, they're singing in English, but I'm, English is not their first language. Is there that added element that sort of inherently made them sing more abrasive, or is it just the style that came out of there? And, and either way, from a vocal standpoint, I think they were, you know, and then of course with possessed, you know, in um, in, in the in you know San Francisco Bay Area, but those the vocal styles there really, I think, spearheaded, you know. Going in the death metal, you know, barking, you know, growl direction. Yeah, but the the funny thing is, the funny thing is that um, you can make a case. You can make a case, and some people do, and I'm not saying I am. um, But you can make a case for the first thrash band really being Venom. Um, Absolutely. And I did an episode on it, and they're like right just. I, I think I, I think look at think of them as almost as the missing link. They're they're yeah. They're, yeah. Uh, they're, they're they're so close. Not exactly. They're the la- They're more or less the final frontier before it was like pure thrash. But I, and you and as you said, you can make a case they're the first thrash band. They're the first black metal band. They're the first. Yeah. I mean, they're they're a just such a like an awesome anomaly in that from a musicianship standpoint. Obviously, those first albums they were itself admittedly not confident you know but somehow they, they pulled it together and and despite their limitations made these albums that are were just hugely influential absolutely i mean uh, i you know um i i remember you know having those early albums and um and, and loving it and i think the weird thing is if you go back and you listen to those early albums you know you go back and you listen to welcome and welcome to hell and let's face it black metal is the name of a venom album i mean you know yeah. if you want to make a case for anyone you know inventing genres you've got it right there and then you've got yeah. a war with satan up to up to possessed which is all right but you look at those albums now and i i I, you know, you put those albums on today and the, and you still, I, I still listen to, I can still listen to those albums and go, do you know what? I still don't know what fucking genre this is. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's just their own, they, they stand alone. And, and, and you know, it's funny too, when you listen to those albums too, one of the qualities that's great about it, that it can't be faked and it's almost like it can't even be, a, you can't even... I don't think you could go in a studio right now and say, you know what, I want to make an album that sounds like, you know, Welcome to Hell. It's just <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that quality. And, and I like I liken it to when when you had, um, I think, the round table on Rain and Blood, and it's a, and it's an observation that I made when I was covering um, the album and when I'm talking of Hell Waits. But as it, it, awesome as the production on Rain and Blood is, and, and the, the production, the engineering, you know, I think it gets a lot of times focused on 
Rick Rubin and his production, but it's really, I mean, I think it's the engineering of Andy Wallace. I mean, yeah. Rick Rubin took the excess reverb out of it, but, I mean, the engineering yeah. of Andy Wallace is what made that album a, a crucial part. Of, you know, the, the, the shorter songs, yes, you know, the, the songwriting, yes, everything, the performances, but the engineering and making it, you know, crystal clear. I mean, it's the first album in Thrash that was, I think, really had engineering designed for Thrash. Yeah. And, but... But but with with, with hell awaits, I, I, and I forget whether it was you or someone else on the panel. But it was it was the word I was looking for. Malevolence. There's some quality to that. <laughs> that now, yes. That I, I, hand up, hand up over here. That that was me. You, yeah. You know, now, and when I was covering hell awaits, and I think also when I was covering you know, rain of blood. I mean, not that word, but that's what I was trying to convey. Is there is a quality, an, almost an unease, but there's something yes. to. The end result, the, uh, you know, and I don't know whether it's, you know, it's just, you don't know what the, you could not cre- recreate that. I don't know how anyone, you know, maybe now it's Pro Tools or something. There's some program that would be like, here's the Hell Waits module. We recorded the album. Now, oh, you want it to sound like Hell Waits? Maybe there's a button you can press that says, all right, now it's down to Hell Waits. But I mean, same thing goes for those early Venom albums. There's just a quality there that is, it's, it's, there's that similar malevolence on those albums that, you know, where where did that come from? They're, they're, you, for certain, the, the people who are making those albums, I mean, the, um, you know, the, the engineers, they weren't getting top shelf, you know, engineers. So they were, it, it was just what happened. And it's, it's uh, I mean, th- those albums are, to me, you know, it, it, sometimes people say, oh, what would Hell Waits sound like? Oh, I don't hear Hell Waits with, you know, Rain and Blood production. That would be that would be cool. On the flip side, I'm like, I want to hear Rain and Blood with Hell Waits production. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's it's um, it, it, well, it's just it's just so of its time. And also, I think the thing about the songs on Hell Waits as well is uh, like you know things like you know things like um, Kill Again and stuff like that. Yeah. It's it, it. They are just really. Because by by the time we get to um, Rain in Blood, they've started um, to do slightly so not so well kind of social commentary. You know, Jesus saves um, yeah. uh, Angel of Death is 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 actually yeah. factual as opposed to you know demons and shit like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like Hello Eight is 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 kind of like the the ultimate evil era for Slayer. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite uh, aspects of that album is so it, it, at the very beginning of Crips of Eternity, there's that one bass note that Tom Araya <laughs> plays that just sort of rings out. And obviously bass player is like last on the list of, of things that are prominent, you know. Yeah. But, that, but that album has more bass than most of them. And, and there's that note that I'm like, that is like the most, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm a drummer, so I don't know what, what whether the note is like, E, D, whatever it is, but that note played that way, it was like, to me, that's evil personified, that one note. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know, it's, it's just kind of like, I don't know, it's just weird, isn't it? It's, it's such an odd thing um, uh, on the album as a whole. Um, although there is, although there is a, there's Slayer's, I think, one and only bass break is, uh, I'm trying to think what song it, on. It's a praise of. Praise of death. Praise of death. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> and and it's... I love that song. I mean, that song. Yeah. Played that. Since, you know, probably the 
random blood tour. And like to me, I love love that song. And it's funny because that's Terry King wrote all the music on that, and and he doesn't like it. <laughs> like you know, to me, it's sort of you know, it's funny because when you look at the Slayer set lists, I mean, they're to this day dominated by Hanneman songs and. Rightfully so. <laughs> you know, almost figure, hey, if Kerry wanted to throw in a little more Kerry song, that's one that I would throw in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it, it's weird because um, it's it's the only it's the only bass break. It's and it's also it's it's actually kind of hardcore. You know what I mean? It's it's actually kind of it harks back to a, a very kind. Of, it's a very hardcore kind of thing to do. Just that one, you know, that one little line, and then everybody's yeah. off again. Interestingly enough, any other times in Slayer song, like the rare moments where there's like just bass for a second, the bass, now that you mention it, does come across more as as hardcore than say, you know, um, you know, another, you know, like metal, whatever. You know, when you know Frank Bellows just playing bass, um, it, it's it's it doesn't sound like hardcore. You know, yeah. maybe Dan Wilker gets that too a little bit because he's you know, definitely has that that hardcore background to make more than anyone in thrash. So, but but no, when 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 Tom's playing just the brief moments in the, in the catalog of Slayer that have just bass for a moment, I mean they they do more have a hardcore sound to them. Yeah, and um, they they do. We're going to disappear on Slayer here, and I want to I I, yeah. I, I want to skip across to you did a four part special on P-Cells But Who's Buying, um, which is great. I really enjoyed it. There was stuff in there that, you know, I, I didn't know. I, I mean, I've read Dave's book. I haven't read Dave Alefson's book. Um, and I um, I was just kind of interested as to what made you pick out um, that album to do a special on. So, so the series, uh, the entire sort of, Thrash series I'm doing, you know, from beginning to end, it, it, I mean, wherever the end it takes us, is is chronological for the most part. In, in that, I, you know, the first sort of eight episodes, as I told you, where I was going in the order of, you know, the, I, I, the original six, I, I called them that because they were like, more or less, and there's one exception, the first six albums, um, like thrash albums to be... The first six debut thrash albums to be released, so to speak. Now, there was an asterisk, because actually, after I noticed this, uh, Dark Angel's first album snuck in there, but it wasn't a wide release. You know, it was sort of, it, it wasn't more widely released until after Killing Is My Business. But there's, the, the whole series, it, there's a, I mean, it's, it's a chronological uh, approach. And so we did, um, particularly after... The three-parter on violence, where these where the shows in the series got more more in depth. I think after that, I did a seven-parter on um, the first, I think, five years of Anthrax, sort of covering the formation through spreading the disease, where they really sort of became the Anthrax, like the like the, the classic lineup of Anthrax. And then after that, I did four parts on the beginning of uh, of the, the the founding through Killing Is My Business. For for uh, Megadeth, and then I, that, then I did five parts on, you know, Master Public, seven parts on Rain and Blood. So the, the progression, you know, we're, we're in 1986 now. And then for a while, I just did more one-off episodes because, I mean, the the, the, the the big series they do take a, a lot of time to sort of get the the information in, in order. So I needed a break from that. But then coming back to it, 
it was time to, you know, chronologically, the next album, the next, um, you know, we're in 1986, you know, with the, you know, looking at puppets and, and Rain of Blood. And the next stop was, the obvious choice was Peace Cells. And so, you know, fortunately with Peace Cells and with covering Megadeth, we have two books, you know, Dave's book, you know, the two Dave's books. So yeah. they're, they give, and then of course what you can find online and through other sources, but it was time to do Peace Cells. And I mean, and, and I just think, it was, it never, it, it, you know, when I was, you know, first in the thrash, you know, late 80s and, and the early 90s, and I'm looking at, you know, that that's, you know, the, the uh, for Megadeth, the Marty Friedman, uh, Nick Menzel lineup, you know, and it was, you know, you looked at it then more as an outsider. But going, the first two albums had, you know, Chris Pollan and Gar Samuelson, and then there's So Far So Good, So What, and that lineup obviously was not enduring. And, but but in my mind, just looking at them, I'm thinking these are stable lineups. Like the the band was, you know, you know, the two Dave's Gar and, and Chris Paul, and and it just it was amazing to me that when you look at for, for the that time period, I mean, it really wasn't a band. You know, I mean, it was like, yeah. you know, I mean, Gar and Chris, you know, came on like right towards the tail, right before the recording of Killing Is My Business. And they had their, you know, their jazz background together, fusion, and there was just so much disruption, so much dysfunction, more so than any other band, of, you know, of their contemporaries. That, yeah, I mean, I, by the time I was going through those two books and and just and, and reading other sources, I'm like, they weren't even a band. It was basically the two Daves were Megadeth, and then there was, you know, these, you know, hired hands. Every band, you know, you know, was you know was drinking. All these bands, for the most part, some of the bands were doing, you know, uh, you know, some some of the individual members, Cliff Burton, Dan Wilker, and others were smoking pot. You know, I know, you know, Tom Araya and Jeff Hammond had their their brief cocaine phase, but yeah, as could be as could be witnessed yeah. on the as could be witnessed on the inner sleeve of Hellaway. Yes. <laughs> yes. And but the level of drug use in Megadeth, which was known, but it, it is astonishing when yeah. you think about it. I mean, when you read these books, and you're just like, how did they survive? Well, it's it's not just but, how did it's so not just how did they survive, though, is it? It's not just how did they survive. It's how did they actually even manage to put out a fucking record? I mean, you know, the incompetence and the just the pervasive drug use and need to score and as you rightly called it you know get well um yeah. was 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 it was it was i think the difference between you know and you 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 look into this very well on the podcast um the difference between uh gar and chris and the two daves was gar and chris their main function their main goal of the day from waking up would be to score whereas the two Daves would be to do the gig. And I think that's a kind of sort of dividing line. Yeah, and, and as much as, you know, there's that dispute with Chris to this day, with Chris, between Chris Poland and, and the two Daves as far as why, and, and this was something I didn't even know until I was reading their, their books, that, you know, the first Killing Is My Business tour, Chris was not on that tour. It was Mike Albert, uh, you know, a guitarist that they just sort of got, um, and, and I think, you know, they say he was in Captain Beefheart at some point. And so it was Mike Albert, who's, you know, 10, 12 years older than them, as a lead guitarist on the very first Killing Is My Business tour. But the dispute to this day is that, you know, Chris, uh, you know, Dave 
The Chief of Dave's say in their books that Chris was arrested for on some drug charge or, or and, and he was not available. Um, whereas Chris says, no, that that's BS. I I um, you know quit because I wasn't I you know that they, there was a T-shirt or a merchandise deal and I was supposed to get my share and, and I wasn't getting any and and to me for one I mean to be, to be frank I mean I don't know what the band member agreement was at that like formally like the actual you know partnership agreement if there even if there was one I don't know who signed the record deal like so who actually was legally Megadeth at that point but to be frank it's like Chris you were I don't think you deserve that. I mean, I, rather, I don't know that it's unreasonable if you were getting that merchandise money at that point. I mean, you were just barely in the band, and, and he, while he recorded the album, um, I mean, he, I mean, the band really was the two Daves, with of course Dave Mustaine being the, the, the clear leader. But regardless, so whatever the story was there, I mean, it was. I mean, as you said, I mean. The two Chris's, they, they, um, two Chris's, Chris and Gar <laughs> were about scoring, you know, and, and getting their joy. And they really, I mean, as far as I can tell, for the most part, they brought, the, I mean, they brought the heavy, heavy drug use in the Megadeth. I mean, they would, yeah. would try, you know, had tried, obviously, alcohol before then and tried things before then, but they brought, you know, the heavy drug use into, into Megadeth. And um, they were... Um, you know, also from a, this was a gig for them. You know, this was yeah. not their passion. This was, okay, let's see if we can earn a living doing this. And so I think the, the drug use, the lack, the, the lack of, you know, sort of love for metal, it was inevitable that they weren't going to be in that band long. But at the same time, the two albums they made, I mean, yes, Dave's songwriting, Dave Mustaine's songwriting, they're absolutely shaped by the, the jazz background of Gar and, and, and Chris. And, and I think Gar in particular, just because, you know, his drumming, you know, that those albums weren't going to sound the same with, you know, a more conventional metal drummer. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, our, our, um, the drummer in Acid Rain is a massive Gar Samuelson fan. In fact, I'm looking at a CD copy of um, the Fatal Opera album, um, uh, in, in which yes. which he's which he's lent me at the moment, which is obviously Gar's band. But I, I, without wanting to disappear on a tangent from that point, I I actually heard that it was it was Chris and Gar that basically turned around to Dave, and because they came from a jazz world, they said like you you have to do heroin if you're going to be a great. All the greats, yeah, you know. Uh, now you mention it, yeah, and that was that was sort of their and that was the jazz culture. It's it's the you know. That, yeah, like all they're going back, you know, to the 20s or, or earlier, heroin was just embedded in jazz. It's kind of weird to think of it that, you know, I mean, from someone who's not, you know, a, a student of jazz, I mean, you think of jazz and I'm thinking like, oh, these are serious, you know, musicians who are just experts at their craft, and they are. But I mean, to think of culture, heroin of all drugs, like, you know, yeah. that's sort of, I, I still think of that as like sort of the final frontier of drug use. I mean, that's, and that's the one that even, you know, uh, you know, typically people who are, you know, engaged in, you know, drugs. I mean, that's sort of one that, like, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I want to take that heroin step. I mean, that that's, that usually doesn't end well, you know. So uh, that's it. Yeah, there's the, the, but, there's no coming back from that. That's the one that really fucks your life up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. It is kind of. Um, 
it is weird. It's you know possibly their greatest legacy, other than their performances on the uh, on those first two albums, is um, is is the drug use, and um, it, it is it is quite amazing to think that you know through through all of this you know drug addled haze that we got such high quality product. It really is. I mean, it's, I, I, it was almost, you know, you'd love to be able to see, like, it would be amazing. You know, you had a year and a half of Life of Metallica where they recorded, you know, you know, documented on video everything, you know, about recording the Black Album. It would, amaze, it would be amazing to have seen, like, you know, the same for the, the recording of Peace Cells or the recording of Killing Is My Business. It, it would have been an absolute train wreck, but, I mean, completely, uh, you know, compelling. Well, even even um, a documentary on Safago is so good, so what? Or um, oh yeah, you know, I mean that that it was just fraught with um, problems, and yeah, most uh, quite a few you can uh, quite a few of which you can actually hear. Um, you know, the, the the production itself was always something that was you know the band were never happy with. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and then and I and I think. You see a direct. It's funny. I I think if if so far so good so what hadn't been kind of so universally greeted as a bit of a disappointment, and the band weren't happy with it. I I I think if that hadn't been as inverted commas as poor as it was, then um, we 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 maybe wouldn't have got the the you know the high watermark that is Rust in Peace. I mean, that's it too, because when, I mean, you, you said the production's a little muddy on uh, So Far So Good So What. I mean, just even the songs themselves, I mean, there's good stuff on there, but they're, they're a. 502. That, that hey, album. hey, shithead, pull over. It's the cops. Yeah. Uh, re- really, Dave? Really, Dave? You, yeah, can't, yeah. you can't hire an actor? We know that's you. Hire, yeah, yeah, but yeah. this is now. This is something that I've that I have mentioned before. Actually, have you ever noticed how whenever there's like another voice needed on a um, on a on a Megadeth album, it's always Dave going, "I'll do it," and he and he will run into the booth and do it. It's like you know, for Lucretia, <laughs> we know it's you, Dave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, you know, it's just like he's 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 always in there doing his voices. The uh, and, and then what was it? Because then, then there's some on um, Countdown to Extinction, like with uh, what's the one? Uh, oh, Captive Honor, where it's like your soul better belong to Jesus. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which 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 I can only imagine Dave absolutely loved doing. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's like there's just there's this inbuilt. I I don't know whether it's the whether it's the controlling nature of him. Or whether it's just the fact that he, you know, doesn't want any, you know, doesn't want anybody else on his album. But it always cracks me up that he's, you know, he's always doing these, these, these like silly voices. It's kind of like, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a few as you go back, as you go back through the Megadeth history. There is actually quite a few of them. It's just like I was... yeah, it's, it's his various personalities. Maybe Dave doesn't even know. It's like he's just doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the ultimate of all this, is, of course, is um, you know, hello me, re- meet the real me. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's like that. That, I mean, that, that might, that's just a biography, I think. Yeah, that's just a whole fucking song of Dave doing his voices. That's you know, yeah. you know, I can just imagine in the studio going right. Okay, that's um, that's evil, Dave. Now you need to do to go, do good, Dave. Do you need like you know, do you need a, a bit of time to to uh, to acclimatize to switch personalities? You know. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's um, 
it's quite amusing. But um, look, I'm interested in your personal journey as well. I mean, um, you know, how did you discover thrash? Um, and and kind of, are we are we similar ages? I'm kind of thinking we are. I'm 42. Oh, right. Okay, so I got some years on you. I'm I'm 48. Yeah, and so it's fun. So I, I have uh, I have three older sisters. I, I'm the youngest. So you can clearly see that. Uh, well, you can probably guess that I was not introduced to thrash from my sisters. But I, <laughs> so gr- growing up, you know, that was when you know mid '80s when I started to you know sort of be aware of anything. You know, that was when MTV was happening, and, and um, you know, if we're in the car or whatever, I mean, I'm not the one you got to choose what we're listening to. So my my exposure was whatever was sort of the top forty radio and then the the pivotal moment was when a friend of uh one of my friends older brother a couple of years older played this this mixtape which was like a copy of a copy of a copy that the like the one sort of rogue and metalhead in, in the school um i guess had put together and it somehow got distributed and played that and on that was um uh, jump in the fire um, and then uh, Last Caress, you know, the Metallica yeah. know, version, yeah, yeah. and um, then also uh, Nuclear Assault, uh, Hang the Pope, and Lesbians. <laughs> and I remember hearing that, <laughs> and I was like, well, well, that was sort of my, my entryway. And I, I think also around that time, too, just maybe slightly before that, is when um, we, I started getting into Iron Maiden. And because and we would go, it, it, and that actually started with, there was a, a record store in town, you know, when those things existed. And, and you went in there and they had all the Iron Maiden posters, those awesome, you know, Derek Riggs, Eddie posters and such. And I'm like, saw them and I'm like, what the hell is this? And so we do this. And so it was kind of Iron Maiden and maybe even like Motley Crue, you know, the Girls, Girls, Girls era or, or Theater of Pain, you know, where we started, you know, as, as uh, young, uh, you know, rebellious uh, lads started going in a you know direction. You know, I was distancing myself from you know what my my sisters were listening to, and though, but it was that mixtape that like sort of elevated things. To, right, jump in the fire, hang the pole, and let me in. Like, this is something different. And so from there, you know, got kill them all, discover you know Metallica was big into nuclear assault at that point, and then it's funny. So and then. It was always in the back, you know, you know, like Slayer. That that seemed a little bit, you know, like they're like, are these guys? Like I hadn't listened to them yet, but they almost seemed like oh, that's a little, that's a that's just inherently something about it. They're they're a different, you know, notch up as far as the intensity. It was it was almost like oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And then finally, uh, another friend's older brother, he was like the ultimate metalhead. He had everything, you know. And this was the, you know, I don't have money at the time. I'm not, you know, I'm in school, you know, and, and so. He was sort of the source of, you know, back when you would copy cassettes, and I was just getting cassettes of everything from him. And, um, you know, and that's when, you know, just escalated in all the, the you know, the, the major thrash that at the time. And, again, whatever it was, thrash is what, you know, you know, resonated with me. I mean, I love Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, and so forth, but from... You know, it was always thrash that, you know, really sunk its teeth into me. And then, again, when I decided to start, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to play an instrument. I'm like, I was drawn to drums. And from a drumming standpoint, that's when I think I really started you know, getting drawn to, to Slayer because, you know, Dane's drumming is, you know, 
um, a class different from, you know, his contemporaries. I mean, it's great. I mean, there's other greats. I mean, on the albums, Lars was good, you know, live, you know, not quite as much, you know, as far as replicating what's on, you know, obviously Dyer's Eve and things like that. But um, it, it was, uh, you know, and Charlie Benante is great and so forth, but it was, it, I, I think, I, I mean, aside from just the music, you know, in the spectrum, particularly really, you know, what it boils down to, Hanneman's music for the most part, but between, you know, Slayer is what just really, you know, sunk its teeth into me, and, you know, and being in Jersey, I mean, Overkill, uh, another one, became another one of my favorites, and, uh, you know, it just, it just went from there. Well, it, it it's funny you you mentioned a few things there, and I'm kind of I'm like I'm all I'm I'm all over the map thinking like of which which part of what you said I want to kind of wormhole on next. But um, uh, funnily enough, just on the end there, you picked a, you 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 mentioned somebody who I think does not get enough props in the world of thrash, and that is Charlie Bonante. Think about Charlie, man. I mean, he is an outstanding drummer and then he's writing all the music i know <laughs> i know it's, it's, it's incredible it's, it's, it is absolutely fucking nuts is what it is i it's, mean he it, it's mind-blowing that he is writing all that music i mean from you know basically you know uh what spreading the disease on i mean yeah he's he's anthrax i mean uh, like lyrically scotty is anthrax but musically and it's Charlie, and it's amazing that you have a band that always had two guitarists, you know, whoever they are, have a bass player, and the drummer is writing all the music. It's, it's, it's incredible. And also, do you know what? What's really amazing is the fact that he, you know, as as has been well publicised, he's suffering from carpal from carpal tunnel, yeah. and he's you know he's having to to drop out occasionally. And the weird thing is that Charlie Bonanti could stop playing drums for Anthrax, but still be in the band as the main songwriter. Yeah, it could be, it, it, he could just be, you know, have, you know, Gene Hoagland or whoever, you know, put, or play the drums for the band. He writes all the songs. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I guess probably I would think that um, the Carpal Tunnel would also affect his ability to play a guitar night in, night out. But, yeah. but otherwise, he could take over those duties. You know, it's like, but... Probably the same issues. I mean, I'm thinking it's going to be. And who knows? Maybe playing guitar and drums combined is what you know. Um, you know as much as he has, is perhaps contributed to the you know developing carpal tunnel syndrome, which is a shame because I mean he's a guy that you know talk about. I mean, I don't. I've never heard a recording, a live you know recording or bootleg where where Charlie was having an off night. And whereas to be frank, I mean, as much I mean, Lars of course gets you know. Abuse for his sort of shakiness live, especially with you know the faster thrasher and in terms of the double bass perspective. But if you go back to you know I mentioned decade of aggression before, that was an that, that's not a good Dave Lombardo performance. Um, you know from a double bass standpoint on that on that album and on that tour, and he is absolutely the first to admit it. Like he was just in a and he attributed it to you know. You know, he was, you know, others started setting up his drums and they set the drum, you know, the throne too high so he couldn't play to his, you know, his, his best. And that, you know, only when he was out of Slayer and he was just sort of doing things on his own that he finally figured all that out. And of course, I mean, think about, you know, Dave and Slayer the second go around. I mean, he was, I mean, just completely separated himself from any other drummer, I mean, in, in genre from a just, 
it, you know, a night in, night out performance. But Charlie Benante, I mean, I was, I mean, he's, I've never heard him have a bad, a bad night. I mean, is, are as high as, as high as Dave's? I mean, from the thrash standpoint, no, but I mean, he's as rock solid as anybody. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it also you've got to, you know, I think it's it's very easy to forget the impact that the SOD had back in the day. And on the absolutely, I mean, and not just, I mean, in the series, the first, uh, you know, like those, I think the seven episodes covering the first five years of Anthrax. There's an episode devoted to SOD because that, you know, was recorded when they were recording spreading the disease, and there, I mean. The, Another thing, I mean, you just how innovative and how enduring the innovation was on that album. I mean, that's, it's not, I don't know that it's, uh, and I think he said it too, you know, he's not necessarily the first to do blast beats, but among the first, and among the first to just have those, you know, those type of songs, you know, where, you know like really the crossover thrash, you know, getting inching thrash closer to hardcore, and just, you know, with these short, blast of these songs i mean and, and yeah i mean that's absolutely i mean charlie is in the you know sort of the the epicenter of a lot in as far as you know this music yeah um and it, it's it's just in it's yeah i, I again i mean i re, i still remember the first time um gaz turned up at my house um who was you know the original guitarist in um uh, in in Acid Rain and plays on the first two albums and um, he turned up at my house. Me and him we, like were, were were like you know peas in a pod and we we're always you know playing each other stuff. I remember him coming right around my house and he goes, "All right, um, uh, I'm gonna I've got this thing SOD. I'm gonna play you this. It's it's two of it's two of Anthrax and the guy and the bass player from the first Anthrax album and and some bloke singing. And I was like, right, okay, cool. And he put it on, um. And when March of the SOD comes in, I was just like, I just, my my jaw just hit the fucking floor. Yeah, and it's one of those great albums in that it's like just opening, like the first track being that, and then progress and being it, it being sequenced as it is. It's it's sequenced like it's a concert because what better way to start a show than March of the SOD? I mean, it's, you know, concert. I love the moment where like right before the the band goes on, you know, the house lights are on. When those house lights, house lights fade out, it's like to me that's the that's like the peak of the show, right? All right, it's about to start, and then to hear March of the SOD coming at that point, I mean, you'd be going going absolutely apeshit. Oh man, he just I I lose my fucking mind. Um, I mean, I remember when Live at Buddha Khan came out, and it was just that that just made it even more kind of like yes. shit. I wish I was, I wish I'd you know, got the chance to see these guys yeah. because it just would have been. Billy Milano, oh. I mean, is there a bigger absolute nut job? You know oh, I mean? like the one... you've just remind uh-huh. you've you've just reminded me of something, right? Absolutely, Billy Milano, SOD, all of us in Acid Rain, big big like you know SOD fans, and then MOD coming out and all the rest of it. Um, and we're playing, we're playing with Exodus at the Astoria in London, and it's on the Fabulous Disaster tour. And we're all, we're all playing, you know, and you know, we're all into our gig, headbanging all the rest of it. I suddenly get a tap on the shoulder, and it's, uh, and it's Kev, our guitarist, and I'm kind of looking at him, and he just points side stage, and I look side stage, and there is fucking Billy Milano, fucking. <laughs> Watching us fucking banging his head with a big smile on his face. Louis, the guitarist, is is with him. Um, 
and they're both just like stood there big smiles on our faces and as soon as the song finishes i just goes hey guys we've got a special guest you know i was like there's no way i'm fucking leaving him stood in yeah, the, yeah stood, stood side stage and went, hey guys we've got a special guest come on out here it, it's billy malano and everyone was just like sod 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 <laughs> It was just fucking unbelievable, unbelievable, um, and um, yeah, I actually, I actually ended up getting um, uh, becoming quite friendly with him um, after that. Um, after that, he was after the show. He was like, "Oh man, that was really cool of you. Thank you very much." I was like, "Yeah, no worries." And then, then when MOD turned over here, I met up with him again, and um, and he was like, "Oh, dude from Acid Rain, yeah, yeah, cool." And we we got to hang out a bit, and they came out. They came over here a few times, and. Um, uh, and I ended up, you know, becoming quite good friends with Louis, the guitarist as well, who went on to be in Mindfunk and Mindfunk with the support on the Slayer Decade of Aggression tour. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they were in the UK and Europe, so um, okay. Okay. so it was really cool because so so you know Louis Louis got me on several guest lists on that tour, so I was you know I was like very you know I, I saw a few of those Slayer shows. Um, but yeah, having, having, uh, like just look inside stage and seeing Billy Milano, man, that was just, is there any more motivation? I mean, it's, really, it's funny. I mean, you can be like, all right, yeah, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's bigger people. There, there's Ozzy, you know, inside this, Hetfield, somebody, but it's like, Milano has got that element. I, I, I like it similar to like Paul Bailoff in that there's an added level of unpredictability and, and danger in them. In that, you know, Paul Bailoff in those early, I can just record and just talking about, you know, telling the crowd to like kill posers. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he meant it. You know, it's like, like Milano, likewise. I mean, he, he's, some of the stories that got Ian's book, I mean, he's, you know, he's fighting, like, I mean, just vicious. Beatdowns. I mean, yeah. of people. I mean, he and then you, know, you talk. You know, with the vibe of the Budokan. There's, you know, the video too. When he jumps, uh, jumps off like those high speakers, and you know, just absolute no uh, regard for himself. And then, and then some guy. He's berating some guy in the crowd at some point who's like, you know, he's like, I, I forget. He's t- there's, you know, there's probably someone hurt in the crowd, and maybe somebody said something derogatory, and he's like, and he just breaks out. He's like. Yeah, I mean, I think around that era, no one beat up more of their own fans than Billy Milano. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, it, and, and that's what makes, what makes it great is, you know, where you have that, that it adds to that sort of, the danger to it, where you're like, all right, this isn't just someone up there, you know, putting on an act. I mean, Billy, Billy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, no, this dude is fucking for real. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, funnily enough, a really, a, a quite, a, you know, whenever I whenever I was in his company and whenever I spent any time with him, um, it was very, um, very mild-mannered, very respectful. Um, and, um, you know, you, you could almost say a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, you're like, where's Billy? Where's the guy I know? Yeah, it's like, come on, you know. Aim a, aim a punch at me or something, you know? Yeah, you want to egg him on. You want to, like, you know, what, what can I do to piss him off, you know? Yeah, yeah. This nice, kind, reasonable bloke is a bit of a fucking letdown. Um, and it's, at the same time, it's like, you said, that, that it, it, I don't, it, it almost goes converse to what I had said that, like, Billy's Billy. I'm saying, I don't think the Billy that's up there, that doesn't make me think, though, because he's mild-mannered when you're interacting with him. 
put the Billy up there at the nut job getting in the fight is fake. No, it's just like these two, you know, two opposite parts of his personality, and they're both Billy. You know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, he's also he's a diabetic as well, so. Um, uh, occasionally, um, you know, he gets low blood sugar and that, and and you know, he he, he that changes his personality. Um, and um, but but like I said, you know, a really nice guy. Um, look, what I want to do um, at this point, my friend, um, despite the fact you've got no friends, um, yeah. uh, what I'm going to do at this point is let's wrap this up and then let's um, let's have a chat for uh, for our mutual patrons. Sounds good. Okay, cool, man. Stay there. But for the meantime, thank you very much. It's been really good fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. That is the um, that's the final interview. That is my friend, no friender. Um, and um, seriously, great podcast to uh, to get hold of. He's, I mean, he goes deep, deep, deep um, uh, on thrash. I mean, there is just like tons of episodes. Uh, there's episode there's episodes on violence, as in the band. There is, um, I mean, there's like four, five part series. Um, it's just it's a really good podcast i can't um i can't recommend it enough especially if thrash is your chosen genre of music because he just goes so so deep very very knowledgeable really does his research it's like the opposite of me really does a lot does loads of research and knows what he's talking about i just get away with having a big mouth um and uh, so yeah do check it out that is the thrash metal podcast Okay, Uh, it's part of the When It Was Cool network. So search in your podcast apps, look for that or just Google it and you'll find you'll find it. uh, You shouldn't be able to find it. You should find it. No problem. Some people have said they've found it difficult to find. But um, whenever I put it in a search engine, it seems to come up. Okay, so. um, So, yeah, um, check that shit out. Support metal podcasts wherever you can, people. He's also got a Patreon page as well. Well, When It Was Cool has got a Patreon thing as well. So. um, So, yeah, um, check it all out. Um, It's um, it's as all always it's a pleasure to be in your ears i really do appreciate it um nice long podcast this time um really um wanted to give you guys a nice big a nice big chunky one um and um you know i've I've bumped into a few of you i've done the spoken word show and there we got some there was some uh some bollockers in who even shouted bollocks back which was fucking awesome um i haven't spoken about that really have i yeah the um the london spoken word show was really really cool that was an hour and a half that just absolutely flew by um and um yeah it was just it was great fun um i think everybody there enjoyed themselves a big uh, thank you to oliver hines from metal underground um who uh who uh, reviewed the show which was awesome interviewed me about acid rain before the show um bought a ticket and came to the show and then did a review i mean wow can't ask for any more than that so thanks a lot for that oliver um and um yeah you know if you, i'm i'm working on uh, hopefully a newcastle show and there is a leeds show it is coming up um very soon so um I, I do you know what i don't think I've, I've have i have i done a plug for that i'm not sure friday november the 2nd damnation festival weekend in leeds um go to crash records website um and you will be able to get tickets there so i'm doing my spoken word show on friday the 2nd it's an early show i think it's going to start about six thirty, seven o'clock so um you know you can uh, listen to me moan on for a bit and then uh, you know go and uh, have a decent night out afterwards if you want um 
so yeah and the spoken word show in, um, in Camden was great thank you to everybody who showed up to that really did appreciate it um, including Miles from Dry Heave that was awesome it was good to see you mate um, and um, yeah everybody in the Etc Theatre was really cool to deal with and, and so hopefully going back there in January for the live podcast with Godless so um uh, I'm going to announce. I will announce that as soon as possible. Patreon um, uh, subscribers will be the ones to first find out. But also, it's um, it's very limited tickets on that one because it's a very small theatre. So um, you know, if you want to come as soon as you see uh, as soon as you see the uh, the link posted, make sure you get your tickets because it is very small. Um, and I am I am hoping, fingers crossed, to sell it out. So. Um, you know, fans of mine, fans of Godless, fans of Talking Bollocks, please do turn up in your turn up in your hundreds and um, and support the podcast. So um, it's been great, absolutely great as always. Lovely to speak to you. Hope you are you all right? Are you? How's how's um, how's the last month been? Really? Oh right, okay. Well, you know, good luck with that. Sorry to hear that. Uh, or alternatively, oh really? Oh that's great. Oh really? Pleased to pleased to hear that. Or alternatively, really? Ah, uh, yeah. Come see, come sa, c'est la vie, and other things I don't understand. Um, but it is, it's, you know, I always feel like I am talking to you rather than at you. I know sometimes it might feel like I am really fucking talking at you. But I do try and talk to you. Um, uh, and, in the, you, know, you know, if anybody got any questions or any topics you want me to cover in the podcast, you know, let me know. Um, I actually, I did have some, um, I did have some, uh, subjects that, um, that a few people wanted me to cover on this. And I know, um, I know, you know, I know one of them was, was, you know, Metallica tickets and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and obviously we, you know, we, we, we've done that. Um, ah, that was it. Yes. KK Downing dragging Andy Sneap into the fucking row. Uh, this is something else that um, uh, Andy Pilkington and I talked to, but um, it's just like, I don't get it. I don't get why he's still going on about not being asked to come back to the band. For a start, there's the rejection you feel as a band member when someone leaves. It is, it's, it's like splitting up with somebody, you know? So when they leave, you feel rejected. It's as simple as that. Um, and the other thing is that he, uh, I'm pretty sure he left because he didn't want to tour anymore. So surely he's going to be the last person you'd think of to, you, you, you're not going to, you're not going to get somebody who's told you to fuck off and told you to fuck off because he doesn't want to tour anymore. He's not going to be your go-to guy for the next time you need somebody to play guitar on tour, is he? Really? And they've called Andy Sneap a carb, he called him a carbon copy of him. Really? It's passed you by that Andy Sneap um, is one of the one of heavy metal's top five producers and has produced the last at least two Priest albums that I'm aware of. Knows the band inside out, knew the material um, of the new album, and only had two weeks to work it all out and get cracking. I mean, you know, sorry, KK, but you keep fucking moaning, and it just makes you sound like a sad, jealous old man. So there you go. That's my feelings on that. Anyway, guys, it's always a pleasure. It's never a chore. I am going to finish off with some music. And I was wondering what music to finish off with. And I thought, well, it can't be Eminem because he's very litigious on YouTube and the, the podcast will probably end up getting blocked. So instead, what I'm going to do is play out with, yeah, why not? That's right, a band I don't like. <laughs> 
well, why the hell not? I'm a bit of a fucking contrarian, aren't I? So why why not just keep it up? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to finish with some alien weaponry. Some of you may be inspired to go and um, uh, listen to the album after hearing this, or you may be inspired to not be bothered. I mean, I don't know. So, um, yeah, um, um, I'm just thinking, right, I'm going for the song Whispers. Okay, right, I'm going for the song Whispers. And um, so you can uh, yeah see what you think to him. Uh, let, uh, you know, uh, let me know or don't, you know, to be honest, I, I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's always a pleasure. It's never a chore. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care wherever you are. Look after yourself. And um, finishing this month's podcast, this is Alien Weaponry and Whispers. Whispers.